For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. And let's have a quick round of the morning papers. And many of them are occupied with the sad passing of the soft-hearted comic genius who, uh, though he was very soft and kind and gentle uh, in real life, had an alter ego that was wickedly razor-tongued, and so says the Mail today. Chaotic and fractious scenes uh, in the Dáil yesterday we're going to be looking at uh, in the papers and uh, looking at later on the programme as well. But Paul O'Grady making much of the Collie Minches today. And, uh, of course, the comic genius who did so much for the LGB, uh, the uh, LGBTQ uh, plus communities uh, is uh, making in picture form uh, many of the column inches today. Tara Lilly and Tara Paul, uh, beloved entertainer Paul O'Grady, died aged 67. I know Neil covered it yesterday, but of course it hadn't time to make the morning papers yesterday, prompting a huge outpouring of grief from fans, celebrities, and even royalty. Comic Paul was a star twice over, uh, first as his drag person, Lily Savage, then as himself, the gentler self, I suppose. UK Queen Consort Camilla yesterday led tributes to the radio, uh, through, through the radio, and uh, for the love of dogs, TV host as well, saying she was deeply saddened. Paul's husband, Andre Portasio, said, I knew he would want me to thank you for all the love you have shown him over the years. Tara Paul and Tara Lilly. Uh, two other elements of the papers today. Uh, Four-day trolley hell of disabled man 84. Uh, reporting in the Star today, an 84-year-old man with special needs was left on a trolley for four days in a hospital emergency department before being transferred to a, a bed on a ward this week. Now, the patient who has an intellectual disability and a number of serious medical conditions presented at the ED of Mayo University Hospital early on Friday morning accompanied by a carer. He was put on a trolley in a corridor of the department following admission, as many are, and remained there for more than 100 hours until he was transferred to a bed on a day ward on Tuesday, a member of the man's family said he was in a distressed state and struggled to rest in the bright, busy corridor where several other patients were also left on trolleys in close proximity to each other. That's a big, big thing in the ED wards. They expect you to lie flat on a trolley that you can't raise your back with uh, and expect you to sleep. And quite often, there is a glaring white light uh, shining down on top of you. This can even happen on the wards if you're in a... Uh, in a bed and there are now often uh, extra one or two beds on the wards put in convenient places uh, on the ward corridors and these bright lights uh, can be very very uh, not conducive to sleep shall we say they can keep you awake all night which increases your stress uh, but there's a story of the star today and uh, moving on to the uh, mail today uh, lowest since counts started just 29 hap homes are available there are just 29 properties available to rent in Ireland which qualify for the housing assistant payment a report by homelessness charity the Simon Communities of Ireland found that the level of homes advertised with HAP rates are at their lowest level since they began monitoring in 2015. The report comes as the government voted last night not to extend the eviction ban, which ends this week. And we'll be talking about that later on the programme too. Opposition TDs have said there will be nowhere for people who are evicted to go due to the rental property shortfall. Wayne Stanley, Executive Director of Simon, described the findings as particularly stark and had called on the government to keep the ban in force. The government, of course, saying uh, we could, but that's just kicking the can down the road for more hardship uh, in future times. Army chiefs had insisted to ministers abuse 
was in the past. Independent front page today, uh, talking about the uh, the Defence Forces Chief of Staff and his predecessors repeatedly assuring the government that robust measures were in place to deal with crime, including rape and sexual assault in the military and to support victims, a secret cabinet memo reveals. It reveals assurances, but the report says uh, that failings are continuing to this day. The revelation of the assurances from uh, Lieutenant General Sean Clancy and former military tre- uh, chief stretching back over two decades comes despite a damning report which concluded that the Defence Forces is not currently a safe working environment and barely tolerates women. Uh, barely tolerates when there's rape uh, in some of the allegations here. My God. Uh, Lieutenant General Clancy is now facing calls from opposition TDs to resign in the wake of the report's publication. But he's being backed by the Taunashtown Defence Minister, Michal Martin, and other coalition leaders. And he came out and apologised yesterday and said it's a very real and current situation. This is not historic, even though it lives in the past. It's still with us today. But he's promised a sort of root and branch effort to uh, weed it all out. A memo given to ministers on Tuesday stated that assurances had been provided by current and former chiefs of staff to Minister Martin to the effect that there are robust protection measures and grievance procedures in place to bring any perpetrators to justice and to support victims as required. Enoch's outbursts blasted by principle. Uh, Lots of the morning papers are covering uh, what happened yesterday uh, in court when evidence was given. Horrific service incident recounted a former principal of Wilson's Hospital Secondary School has slammed Enoch Burke's public outbursts over a request to call a student by a different name and pronoun. Neve McShane, who was the principal and warden of the County Westmead School between 2016 and 2022, said that in May 22 she sent the request email to staff, asking them to refer to a student who wished to transition by a different name. The High Court heard Mr Burke voiced his opposition in emails and at a staff meeting. Ms McShane told the school's counsel, Mark Connaughton, Uh, senior counsel, that uh, we tried to find a situation where the teacher and the student could be supported and we tried to absolutely, or be absolutely fair with Mr. Burke. But she said on uh, June 21st, Mr. Burke made an outburst during a service, uh, a mass if you like, to mark the 260th anniversary of the school's foundation, calling on Miss McShane to withdraw what he described as the school's demand to recognise transgenderism. Uh, You can read all that in the Star and in other newspapers uh, today. On the independent front page today, uh, the NCT delays are making some headlines. 425,000 vehicles are overdue their test. The numbers of vehicles without a valid NCT cert rose to 50,000 in just a few weeks, or rose by 50,000, I beg your pardon, in just a few weeks while the operator of the national car test promised to cut backlogs and wait times. There were 425,004 vehicles with a due date for the test that was in the past last week, the highest level in recent years. This compares with 375,000 vehicles that were overdue their NCT at the end of January, according to a presentation to an Oroctus committee. Uh, Representatives of the uh, testing company Aplus told politicians the figure was 170,000 above the norm for the time of year, the test delays were described as unacceptable. And while I know the Gardaí give a certain amount of leniency if you have your 
you know, your failed application and your future date allocated to you, there could be some who may take a dim view in that you're not meant to be driving without a valid NCT cert. And not just a future test uh, may not do for some guardian in the traffic court. I don't know, just uh, I imagine there are various uh, leniencies and various people who wouldn't be lenient on that score. But there is 425,000 vehicles now uh, who uh, haven't had their test on time, shall we say. And the Department of Transport uh, spokesperson said Junior Minister Jack Chambers is deeply concerned and frustrated at the delays. Of course he would be. But assurances have been given that waiting periods will fall to 12 days by the end of June. Watch that. Let's come back to that at the end of June, okay? Waiting days for the NCT will fall to 12 days by the end of June. So that's 90 days from now. What are they going to do? It's going to take a gargantuan effort. Scareplane says the sun today. Fury as a man boards a flight with no passport and no ticket. How could it happen? How could he get through security? Uh, the initial um, boarding pass gates. How could he get through the, uh, the checks at the gate? Uh, the passport check? I don't know. Dublin Airport has launched a probe after a man got on a plane without a passport or a boarding pass. Abdul Ahmed, who's 48, was fined €700 for boarding the Aer Lingus flight from Dublin to Birmingham on Monday without either document. He was charged with trespassing with intent to commit an offence and with failure to produce a valid passport or similar document as a non-national in the state. He had to pay €350 for each offence. But how did he get on the plane? I'd love to find that one out. Keep screens from kids until they are 16. Parents should ban screens for children under the age of six, according to a psychologist. Children who regularly stare at smartphones, tablets and computers are more irritable and have worse concentration and memories than youngsters who do do not use them, says neuropsychologist Dr. Alvaro Bilbao. Try taking a screen off a youngster and you'll see what irritable means. Uh, In his book, Understanding a Child's Brain, he states screens should be uh, should indeed feature in a child's life once their brain has developed a little more emotionally speaking and also improved its ability to control itself. In other words, not before the age of six, um, but uh, sixteen. I said in the headline. I beg your pardon. Keep screens from kids until they hit six, not sixteen. Sure, everybody would have a screen by the age of uh, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Anyway, bread as salty as a packet of crisps. Joe Davies reporting in the Sun. This is a funny one, I think. Uh, shop-bought bread is saltier than crisps, campaigners are warning. Just two slices of uh, a certain white bread contain up to a fifth of the daily maximum recommended intake, uh, their research shows. And three-quarters of all supermarket uh, loaves have as much as a packet of ready-salted crisps in a single slice, according to Group Action on Salt. And how many people would have a couple of sandwiches a day and lash on Uh, the old salt as well. So it's uh, very high salt content. Action on Salt analysed 242 pre-sliced breads to see if they met the food industry's voluntary targets on salt levels. Doyle debate a disgrace. I said we come back to it. Uh, So let's kind of wrap up with this uh, almost. Uh, Government wins its confident motion. Two votes uh, secured uh, pretty easy fashion by the government yesterday, leading the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar to say the coalition is built for the long haul and will see its term true. But the government won a confidence motion yesterday during a fiery debate branded a disgrace by the Crown Corla. There was shouting across the Dáil Chamber between the government and opposition parties, several warnings given to TDs to sit down and stop heckling. The government won the vote by 86 votes to 67 after securing the backing of independents. The motions of confidence was tabled by the coalition 
following a decision by the Labour Party to table its own motion, which was prompted by the decision to end the winter eviction ban from tomorrow. Taoiseach Leo Varadkar accused Labour of political theatre, performative anger and performance art. He mocked Ivana Bacic's speech at her party's annual conference in Cork, saying it would deliver one million homes in a decade. Uh, He said, when it comes to solutions, we largely get utopian populist ones. The latest of these is a promise from the Labour Party to provide a million homes in 10 years. When asked how that number was arrived or how it was realised, the leader of the Labour Party had no answers. And one final story from the morning papers. We might depend on them later uh, as the show progresses. We will not suffer April Fools warn employers. I don't really like talking about April Fools in the preceding days because it makes it much harder to catch people, doesn't it? As April Fools Day approaches, though, a top law firm warned how workplace pranks can cause bother for bosses if they go wrong. Employment experts Peninsula Ireland told of cases in which hijinks saw bosses being held liable. One involved a hairdresser with a phobia of strawberries whose co-workers placed punnets in her locker, a storeroom, workstation and even the loo. The employee suffered a panic attack, went off on long-term sick, complaining stress and harassment and the salon boss was heard uh, was held liable. Another April 1 mishap featured bakery staff uh, whose gag with flower-packed party poppers backfired badly. One wor- worker planned to prank his black uniform-wearing pals, but the victim covered in uh, white paper was the parish priest. In a third incident, a carer at a childcare facility thought it would be humorous to wear a scream mask to create some fun for the children. The uh, children became extremely distressed to the point where their parents had to be called to comfort them. Peninsula Ireland's Moira Grassick said, it is imperative employees are made fully aware that although a harmonious and fun environment is welcomed, Any actions that may be perceived as offensive, intimidating or threatening will not be accepted in accordance with their company's policy, ethos and culture, not to mention their insurance, I suppose, regarding dignity and respect in the workplace. Employers may also become vicariously liable. Oh, that's worse than liable, isn't it? Vicariously liable for for the actions of their employees and a proactive approach on managing same should be adapted. Maybe we'll look at some April Fool's Uh, Pranks, ones that went well, ones that didn't go so well, ones that were classic. Uh, You know, in the dawn of independent radio here uh, in this country, there were, without mentioning any radio stations' names, there were some incredibly brilliant pranks, which we might have uh, a quick look at back tomorrow. Uh, There was one, though, uh, to finish on a more somber note, just to leave you know how things can go wrong. I'm aware, I won't mention the company, of course. Uh, It's now since been folded. Uh, but one April Fool's, uh, somebody hung a mannequin in a guy's locker. He got uh, as if as if somebody had hung himself. A mannequin in a uniform, in a staff uniform, uh, in the uh, intended target's locker. Uh, the intended target opened the locker, got a heart attack, uh, and was six months out of work and got a major claim against the company. No names mentioned there, but these things can go wrong as April Fool's approaches to our phone lines in a moment. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. And while I was using the uh, the last little story I told just by means of illustration as to how things can go wrong, I must read out a, the Samaritan's number if anyone was affected by that last story, which was meant to be a prank. It went horribly wrong. Uh, but if anyone... Uh, was affected by uh, that little tale, then the Samaritans can be reached 
on 116123. The Samaritans, 116123. To our phone lines on line one, we have uh, Sinn Féin's Tommy Gould. Good morning, Tommy. Good morning, Mick. How are you? We're good, Mick. We're good enough this morning. Okay. Very disappointed after last night. Uh, but listen, um, we just have to keep up the battle now. Uh, there's too many people affected by this eviction ban for us just to... Yeah, the parties in power seem to have, uh, you know, quiet confidence that this was going to sail through. Uh, and so it did. Uh, many voted, of course, uh, against the confidence in government. Five independents uh, turned against, uh, which is a swing of ten. Some of the uh, independents, rather than vote with the government, just didn't turn up. Well, you see, we lost, we lost the vote last night by 14. If those independents had voted uh, with the people, it would have brought it down to four. And some independents were there. So, um, listen, I, I tell you, though, Mick, it's for a lot of people, though, last night's vote was their last chance. There, there was hope against hope that the government would see, and especially the independents, that people would see how hard things are. And like I've spoken to the dialogue the last couple of weeks about cases that I'm working on, people who are, uh, people who are, like, there's a lady I'm dealing with now who's got a cancer, who's got cancer, who's undergoing chemo treatment. She is a, she's a teenage child that she hasn't told yet. She's facing eviction herself, her husband and the child. Like, how, how, where do they go this morning when they wake up and they hear this? They'll just still have another couple of weeks, but like, they're looking at being evicted. And I, I, I told the case about, about a family that I raised in the dial this week. Uh, his he had one son doing college exams and the other son doing the leave and stuff that they have to be on the 15th of April. So how is any child going to sit there leave and sort when they don't know where they're going to be living? That they're going to end up in emergency accommodation in a B&B or a hostel. Like, this is devastating. The, the, the catastrophic consequences of making people homeless, especially children, uh, will be facing the consequences for years. And the, the government, we supported the government last year when they brought in the eviction, the winter eviction ban. And what we had said then, that we would support the government to bring in all the measures necessary. And they did nothing for six months. And here we are now, and we're at a cliff edge. And come Saturday, I know people who are going to be homeless next Monday. Well, they'll have their, they'll have their brand new eviction notice. Uh, they must have some time, I suppose, to, to vacate. No, they? no, no. They already well, have those notices, so it's, so it's yeah. out on, out on Monday, is it? A lot of those people got these notices when the eviction panel was in place. And come Monday, no, some of them will kick in Monday, some will be the 15th of April, the 1st of May, the 15th of May, and the 1st of June. So over the next two months, and according to the Art, the Residential Tenancy Board, there are 500 individuals and families, which could be anywhere over 1,000 to 1,500 people who will be affected by this over the coming months. So, like, we're, we're looking at a situation now where, where are they going to go? And that's the question we kept asking every minister, the teachers and the tourists Where are these people going to go? And to those who say, you're just using a sort of a populist stance here to score political points against the government, tell, tell me about Sinn Féin and those who oppose the eviction ban being uh, lifted. Tell, tell me about where you're speaking from, from your heart. You see, Mick, we were looking to... Listen, we know eviction ban can't be in forever. 
So what we were trying to do is bring forward solutions. Like the government have brought forward one of their solutions now is the tenant in situ scheme. So we're a landlord is selling the property that the council can buy it. This is something we've been calling for for years and the minister did bring it in. But what he didn't do is he didn't give the local authorities any staff to deliver it. Like I'm dealing with a family now who brought a brother uh, whose house went up for sale. The council didn't move in it in time. They sold it privately, and this family now are facing eviction in two weeks' time. Like, the, the idea is good, but without the staffing, you need, you need engineers, you need inspectors, you need a legal team, you need uh, people to purchase it. So, like, it's all well and good for the minister to say, buy the property and leave the tenant in there. But the local authorities, you have one person or two people inside Cox City Council, and from all figures, it takes at least 50 hours to put one of these through. So, like, you're looking at hundreds of victims. You, you need a team of staff in there to deal with it. And, like, I have a clinic, I have a clinic every Monday, Mick, right? And last Monday, a couple of days ago, was the busiest clinic I've ever had as either a counsellor or a TV. It was out the door. It was just, it was, that was tragic. It was, I, I, I tell you, you know, how, how, much that, how much of that clinic was on uh, evictions and homelessness and worry? About 70% of it. About 70%. I, I have people in my office crying. Crying because they're facing eviction. They don't know what to tell their children. I, I spoke to a man the other day and he said he felt a failure as a father. No, these are people who are working. I did not nurse with me on Monday. She has over 45,000. And she can't find somewhere to rent. Or your families with the husband and the wife, the family told you about that the son is doing a grievance of. They are both working. You see, one time when we talked about homelessness, we were talking about people who were down in their luck. They might have been in the throes of addiction. They might have had mental health issues. There were people who really had a hard time. We have no families. I, I spoke to a lady on Monday. Um, and she's distraught. She went to college. She's college educated. Her husband works full time. She works full time. They have two children. And in four weeks' time, they're going to be homeless. But pe- people would say to Tommy that, you know, e- even though Mary Lou waxes lyrical and she's quite an orator and she can really nail a point, um, that there really are no solutions coming from uh, Sinn Féin and there's no solutions coming from Labour except throwing a figure of we'll build a million houses in 10 years and then couldn't substantiate it. So what, 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 is, what is the Sinn Féin position? Well, what would you do if you were in government now? You can't have the eviction ban extending and extending forever. I know it's cruel, and I know it's cruel on a certain weak section of society, um, but the overriding reason here is to try and keep landlords in the market before it crashes altogether. No, number one, anyway, that's wrong. The government keeps saying this was trying to keep landlords in the market. Landlords have been leaving for the last six years. And the reason for that is a lot of landlords are cashing in now. They might have properties that were in negative equity after the financial crash, or they might have had their mortgages nearly cleared. And now, and we've had the landlords come in, I'm on the housing committee in the door. So the main reason landlords are leaving is because they're just selling up now because prices are on an all-time high. House prices have never been higher. Now, this... You see, this is the crux of the problem. Fine Gael wanted to believe that the market would solve everything. We know that has failed. 
What we need, the first thing we would do now, is there are 8,000 vacant properties in Cork. There are 166,000 in the whole state. And they're national fail figures. They're the Central Statistics Office figures, right? We know, we know thousands of them have been empty for years and years. The first thing we would do is we would tell local authorities to buy them off the landlords, and if they don't want to buy them, to compulsory purchase them. Like, I'll put it this way, Mick, if me and you walked around Cox City now, you could see hundreds of houses that are empty right now. Now, these would only take a couple of months to be done, to be renovated and brought back in. So, like, you wouldn't be able to fix the crisis straight away, but what you could do is you could prevent families becoming homeless. Because what the government did last night, for the first time in the history of this state, a government voted to make people homeless. And our solutions are, number one, anyone, any landlord wants to sell, I don't have a problem with, let's buy it off them at the fair rate, at a market rate. Keep the tenant in there. Give the local authorities the money they do it, the staff they do it. The second thing we would do is, there are 600 empty houses that constantly hold the loans right now today that are boarded up. If I walked around with you in some of the, the social housing areas, it's unbelievable the amount of boarded up houses. Tommy, st- st- stay with me for a yeah. second. Joanna's on line four. Hi, Joanne. Good morning. You're saying the elephant is in the room already, yeah? Uh, it absolutely is. And Tommy knows it. And Tommy now and Sinn Féin are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites as far as I'm concerned. Okay? Why right? that? Everyone knows the country is full. We can't house what's here. And they're out every few weeks protesting. Refugees welcome. Everyone welcome. And you open your mouth and you're racist. I met Tommy last year and I had a conversation with him about a member of my own family who's coming up uh, being homeless. Both working, no HAP, no supplements. And Tommy taught me to be no Ukrainian housed before the Irish. And when I texted him and said, but you're building modular homes, I was blocked off every, every form of social media. So people now need to wake up out there and realise what the problem truly is and be able to say it without being called far right or racist. Tommy, answer me that. Tommy. I will make first of all, I wanted to come on this morning to discuss these matters with Colin Burke, who's a Fianna Gael TV in the Doyle from Cop North Central who voted to evict people. This lady on with you, and I don't want to discuss people's private details, but I was willing to go to that house to stand with her family to stop that eviction, and her own son wouldn't do it. So to come on the radio now this morning and to criticise me after I volunteered... Tommy, excuse me, I'm criticising every one of you up there, not just you in particular. No, no, Mick, I came on the radio now this morning. If I knew this lady was coming on, I didn't want to be discussing people's private details. All right, well, Joanne, Joanne, you... No, Mick, can we, I say this now? To be fair, sorry, to be, to be fair Tommy, sorry, we, we didn't have, know she I have nothing to hide here. I have no, no, nothing Mick, to hide here. All right. We are talking about an eviction, man, Mick, right? And it's deeply disappointing that Colin Burke or Paddy O'Sullivan or Simon Covey or Michael McGrath or Michael Martin won't come back to your show this morning. I, be, I, I, bet, you, I bet you some of them will. We're trying them as, as no, we no, speak. No, Listen, Joanne, th- thanks, for, thanks for your contribution there. To be fair, Tommy, and, and, and to be fair to the very hardworking crew here, we don't know who's coming on this programme. It's organic. It's listener-driven. Uh, okay, so Joanne heard you and, and rang us and we put her on. We didn't know she was coming yeah, on. Yeah, but one second, Mick. 
I rang Neil Penniver last week and I asked him, would any TD from the government come on with me? And not one of them would. I spoke to Kevin this morning to see if Colin Buck would come on. He's coming on next and he wouldn't. And just to speak to about that lady, I haven't blocked her or anything. So you would have to post him come on the radio to tell a lie. Mick, you did this morning without checking it out. Okay, well, but correct it then. Is, well, Mick, no, I shouldn't have to correct it. Can I say this now? I wanted to go down and support that woman's family and stand with them, and her son wouldn't do it. So she's coming on now fighting, giving out this morning when her own son felt that he didn't want to overstay. And I respected him because he was a hard-working young man, so was his wife, and they were devastated. I spoke to his partner, sorry. She was devastated by this. All right, let's, let, let, let's move away no, no, from... Let's one other thing now. People t- to blame Ukrainians, right? I gave my maiden speech in Cox City Council in 2009, and we had a housing crisis then. It's 14 years later, and we still have it, right? And for anyone to blame Ukrainians or anyone else, I'm dealing with families. When I got elected three years ago as a TD, I'm dealing with hundreds of families who have been waiting 10 and 11 and 12 years for a house. The Ukrainian war only started last year. So for anyone to suggest the housing crisis, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have to blame here. No one else. And it's really disappointing that we're putting vulnerable people against vulnerable people. But Tommy, it it would happen in three, four, five, six months anyway if you secured an extension. Would you have been happy with an extension? That would have given us time to put put plans in place to house people. I was just saying to you there, Mick, that we have a solution. It'll take a couple of months. It could take six or nine months to get these vacant properties back, to get these voids back. Mick... You walk down North Main Street and look at the condition in North Main Street and how it was allowed to go that way. There should have been houses, apartments, home emergency accommodation built in all those terrorist buildings. We have it in Shannon Street, Blackpool, Ballast Street, Douglas Street, right across the whole city. There are empty buildings where with a bit of work we put families into right now. And can I say this now? I'm asking you once again, I'm asking any TD who voted last night to lift the eviction man, and I dare them to come on and debate issues with me, because the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gaelers have run for the hills. All right, Tommy, Tommy Gould, Sinn Féin, uh, thank you very much. I know we kept you longer than we should have, so I hope we didn't make you late. Thanks, Tommy Gould. Thank you, Rick. Thanks, bye-bye. cheers, bye-bye. Just 29 properties available to rent in the country, of course, which qualify for the housing assistant payment. And in a certain sense, the homeless crisis, uh, which was making all the Collie Minches and all the radio programs many years ago, has been kind of subsumed by the housing crisis. I know it fits into it uh, as an integral part of it, uh, but it does seem to be that uh, we are uh, now just concentrating on the lack of housing rather than on uh, the homeless situation. I know they're they're very, very similar topics, uh, but we never hear as much about homelessness anymore uh, unless we hear it through the housing uh, medium, if you like. And uh, of course, we're going to hear it much more now uh, in the next week because of the eviction ban. Uh, but we'll be back in a moment. Uh, we'll just take a short break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. Red FM. 
It's a quarter to ten. Good morning from the Neil Prendivit Show. This is Mick Mulcahy and uh, we are now welcoming Colm Burke from Fine Gael on line two. Good morning, uh, Mick. Good morning, Colm. How are you? Uh, I, I have a friend, Colm, who works in the Doyle, who shall remain nameless, has worked there over many administrations uh, and sees the humanity across the political divide and has told me that uh, to a member of the Doyle, Everybody is struggling with this really, really contentious issue and this harrowing issue. Uh, you know, the eviction ban and all that kind of thing. You're obviously part of the government and voted with the government last night. You had a kind of a comfortable win. Uh, can we just, before we discuss anything else, get, get to the ethos behind this. What's the kernel behind not um, extending the ban uh, in, in what some would see as a charitable way? There has to be... The, the nub of the issue, why, and I know Leo Varadkar explained it, but maybe you could just focus on that. Why, why did this have to be terminated now? The the challenge that we have in that when we came into government in 2011, there was 15% unemployment, 50,000 people a year leaving the country. We had a whole lot of vacant properties. We had an oversupply of uh, properties, a lot of properties, and not fully finished. So that's what we started off with. We have now turned around where we have... 720,000 more people now working in this country and that has then created the demand for housing. 720,000, that's, you know, over 60,000 new jobs a year have been created over the last 10 years. And the challenge now that we have is that the market and even the development of services, backup support services, are not able to expand at the same pace. The problem that we have in relation to housing I said, if you go back to, say, 2000 to 2008, we had over 240,000 people working in the building industry. Currently, we have 170,000. So there's a, a, a difference there of 70,000 people. And no matter how much money you know throw at it, our challenge is we do not have enough workers. And, you know, if you talk to anyone there who, uh, who has a house and who wants to get renovation work done, if they contact any builder, most builders will say, well, I'll come back to you in six months' time or in 12 months' time. There's a huge demand for work to be done, and that's the challenge. And the question now that we need to do is, one of the problems that we have in Ireland, for instance, is that we have a far higher labour input into building houses than anywhere else in Europe. And, for instance, the Enterprise Ireland we're in with the Public Accounts Committee in the last week, and they have now set up a project in Galway about how can we deliver more with the same number of workers. And that's one of the things that we have to do is deliver faster, more efficiently and build those houses. Yeah, but you've, you've, got, you've got your opposition party, say, begging you to, to give more time. Would this not have been the perfect opportunity for a multi-partisan approach to say, OK, guys, we'll give you four months, five months, six months, but this is a multi... The problem, the problem that we have now is that we have instability in the rental market. Remember, there's three different cohorts of people in this country as regards accommodation. We have people who own their own houses, we have people who are in local authority houses and then we have the people who are getting crushed in the middle and that's the people who are renting. And we need to stabilise the market and that's basically what we're doing. We also need, make, and one of the things that I have been very strong about is we also need to develop a whole system of long-term letting. This issue in relation to, um, you know, the changes that occur. Like, for instance, if I have a commercial property and I lease it, and if you're in there for more than five years, you're entitled to a 20-year lease. We now need to work towards developing that, but we need to bring investors into the market. Remember, an awful lot of people that own houses at the moment, <clears throat> they came into the market in kind of 95 to 2008. The banks threw money at people. They bought the second and they bought the third house. Remember, they were all in their late 40s, early 50s when they bought those. 
they're now in their late 60s, early 70s, and they want to get out. I had one tenant on to me recently, and he is living in a house for quite a number of years. The landlord is 80. He wants to sell. No member of his family is interested in carrying on. And that's the challenge we have. We need to stabilise the market, but we need to bring more investors in who can provide the accommodation that's required. Because no matter what we do, there are certain cohort of people who won't qualify for local authority housing and who are finding it difficult to buy their own houses. And that's the challenge. And, you know, I was on the late debate last night with the National Labour Party, and they talked about building a million houses um, over the next 10 years, 100,000 houses a year. And I asked a simple question, where are we going to get the people to do this work? And that's the challenge that we have. We've got to be innovative. We've got to, and I do agree with Tommy Gould as regards vacant properties. But one of the problems with vacant properties, Nick, and why people are not prepared to invest money and why the banks won't give money for them is there's a defective title. The, the title to the properties is defective. And I even raised this in the door last week with um, Micheál Martin about getting local authorities. And I've done this, say, for instance, in Blackpool, where we had a property which was defective. A client of ours had a property which was defective. We got Cork City Council to serve a compulsory purchase notice on it. Um, they did that and they rectified the title and sold it back to us and they charged us, 50, this is going back a few years ago now, they charged us €15,000. Does, does a CPO, column? does a CPO sort of sort mm. out that, that defective title? For instance, you take the best example of all is the North Infirmary. When the North Infirmary closed, they found they had a defective title there and the only way that it could be resolved for the North Infirmary to develop as a hotel was for the City Council to serve um, a compulsory purchase order on it and as a result, then, they were able to rectify the title and move it on. For instance, if I have a property at the moment which has less than 70 years to run in the lease, no bank will give me money to do anything with it. And, you know, if we can uh, use the compulsory purchase order, no, that means we'd have to have a very um, improved, um, you know, level of staffing levels in, in local authority to deal with it as well. But in relation to derelict properties, at the moment... There's a £50,000 grant for anyone who wants to um, renovate or work on a, der- a derelict property. There's a 30, that's a €50,000 grant. There's a €30,000 grant for upgrading a vacant property. So um, there are grants available to people and like there are no excuses. I mean, it's about engaging and it's about getting on with it. And you see, some of the problems as well with derelict properties is that it's an older age group and in some cases owners, they, they don't have the finance and they won't get the money from the bank because of their age profile. Um, then, you know, how can we assist them and we should look at that as well. And there are some of the challenges that we have in relation to property. But one of the things that we have at the moment is that <clears throat> we have a crisis in housing. The, the challenge that we have now is that the number of jobs being created continues to grow. For instance, in the last quarter of 2022, there were 20,000 new jobs uh, created. 20,000 in one quarter. And that's the challenge we have. How do we respond to that growing uh, job creation that's occurring and at the same time not being able to provide adequate accommodation? The one other thing that's happening in Cork is the building of student accommodation. For instance, we have um, over a two-year time period, over 2,000 uh, bed spaces will become available for student accommodation. I think 550 came on, uh, into place in, in Bandon Road, <coughs> right across the road yep. from Sissy Young's. <coughs> 
That's and just because you can get almost Airbnb like returns from the from the much pressured well, student sector. One of the things that if you take that we've built two thousand um, bed spaces, that means if you take an average of five students per house, that's taking four hundred houses out of the student accommodation um, area, which I think is very welcome. Now we need to see the other thing that we need to look at is. If you go back uh, quite a number of years ago, you know, you take, say, Collins's barracks, you take the hospitals. There was accommodation provided for staff, for instance, in Collins's barracks. There was accommodation provided for uh, for soldiers. There was even, uh, you know, accommodation provided for um, for um, members of the um, the, um, the 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 people in charge of Collins's barracks. Likewise, in our hospitals, there was accommodation for trainee nurses and for junior doctors. And that all seems to have disappeared. And the state needs now to be more proactive as regards developing accommodation for a certain cohort of people, especially for, say, training nurses, junior doctors, for army personnel. And we have the grounds to, in, in say, Collins and Barracks, develop um, further um, accommodation there. And I think that's something that we need to prioritise. Say, for instance, if you go to the UK and you walk in the hospital there as a nurse or as a doctor, there's accommodation provided to you on site. Likewise with our third level colleges, some of our third level colleges have land where we could be building student accommodation as well. So all of those things need to be fast-tracked and delivered. And that's the problem. Unfortunately, our planning process, there's procedures there where people can appeal to on board Planola. Uh, it does delay it. Maybe the Department of Finance could get involved and give uh, serious tax breaks. You know, if you sell your prime principal residence, it's tax-free. Uh, if a landlord's been serving the, uh, you know, the rental population for, say, 20 years, uh, that they could sell their property without incurring tax, that might be one. Um, and, and I suppose one thing is, though, we need, to bring in, we need to bring more money into the rental market as regards long-term letting. So, for instance, I would be very much in favour of anyone who gives a long-term lease to people, to a person that there would be a certain tax incentive in doing that. And that's about making sure that we don't have the scenario now where, you know, landlords are, if they want to sell, they sell with the tenants in situ. So, for instance, if I'm selling a commercial property at the moment, it's not unusual for a commercial property to be sold with the tenants still in place. Of course. And it sets out exactly how much rent is coming in. Why can't we do that in relation to residential property as well? But we need to make sure that we set up the proper structure. And you can give, um, a landlord can give a 20-year lease at the moment under present uh, legislation and can give five-year uh, rent reviews. So there's no reason, but we've got to give <clears throat> an incentive for that to happen. And I think we've got, there's a number of innovative things, but the big challenge we still have, Nick, is how do we um, bring more people into the building industry and Colin, I have very little time left. I just want to get one, one thing by you. I have to, uh, somebody who knew I was going to be speaking to you. Uh, I have a friend who's going to be affected by the vote last night. I was hoping it would go the other way. But what's really rubbing salt in the wounds is that there are so many, he says, high-end cars being driven around the country by young men with Ukrainian plates, no NCT, no tax, no insurance displayed. Their license was simply changed over to Irish when they entered the country. That rubs salt in the wounds, doesn't it? It does, and I would imagine that, in fact, if they um, are not clear on the legislation, but my understanding is that you cannot drive um, 
a non-Irish registered to a vehicle, um, I think you, you, there's only a certain time period, but I'm, I'm open to question that. I can check that out to you for you to know what the current rule on it is. Um, I, if I knew that question was coming okay. up. Okay, no, I, I, but, I, I, but, I will, but I will check it out. I, I could have pre-warned you, but I didn't. Um, one final <coughs> thing, uh, and maybe, maybe we'll discuss this the next time we're on, is, is that the multinationals are now looking at building uh, village or dormitory accommodation en masse uh, to, to house their people who are finding it very hard to get accommodation. Will, will that be a process that can be fast-tracked planning-wise? I th- <clears throat> well, no, I think they still have to go through the same planning process. Um, but it, it's one of the points I made in in relation to, um, you know, big companies that are um, increasing their workforce. They also need to know get involved and deliver housing as well. And okay. I've got to leave it there, Colin Burke, for the Gale. Thank yeah. you very much You're for coming on this morning. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. The Neil Prenderville Show. Red FM. And all of a sudden, a lump of black pudding came sliding across the table. So, so says the old adage. Tim McCarthy joins us in studio. Famous cork butchers, McCarthy's. Uh, and you've won a world title. We have. We've won gold at the prestigious European Pudding Awards in Montagne du Perche in Normandy. Oh, very posh. So you, you won gold with your wild black pudding with chocolate and pistachio nuts. Yeah, we sent off two special special variants, which get the creative juices flowing in us. We sent chocolate and pistachio, and we sent a teal and whiskey, cream and apple black pudding, and we brought home the gold. Wow. Okay. Uh, pardon me for being so ignorant now. Won't the chocolate melt when you eat the black pudding? That's the beauty of it. Won't it make a mess? That's the beauty of it. It goes and you get the bitterness from the chocolate, you get the saltiness from the bacon, you get the crunchiness from the pistachios. You've got a lot of flavours going on there, but this is taking pudding away from the breakfast menu. It's taking into a beautiful starter with poached pear, candied walnuts, something something a bit so, so in, in the upper echelon of restaurants and service, this would be quite the thing. It can, or it could be in the Mulcahy household on a <laughs> Sunday morning. Okay, McCarthy's Butchers, of course, are famous out of Cantor. Cantor is a town I love. I, I just love the layout of it and, and the river and the bridge and I, I just think it's a beautiful town the way it's kind of spread out that, that maybe I'm wrong but Yeah, we have a beautiful town it's very unique because we're on the meeting of two rivers the Yellow and the Dello which flow into the, into the black water beautiful service town we got, we got everything you need for a small town now, How long are you guys in business there? We're in business since 1892 Wow, 1892 and is this your first major award? No, we actually won this award outright back in 2010, the Confier de Chevalier de Goutet Boudon. Wow. And they came over to Ireland. Anything you win out of your own jurisdiction, out of your own area, because French should be very parochial about their food. They'd be very proud of their food. So when you get anything in recognition of Irish food, it's really a big accolade and it's a big honour to, to win it. Okay. So you're now, um, you're very, very elevated now because you're now a member of the Brotherhood of the Knights of the Black Pudding. We are indeed. It sounds a bit too real to be real. But these are these are passionate people about black pudding. And it's great to go over there and you meet all these people. Some of them are pharmacists, teachers, and other, oh, others are butchers. But well, what's the origin of black pudding? Black pudding would be the peasant food. It would have been, it would date way back to when the pig would be killed on the farm. And you try to harvest as much of it to get nutritious food for the family. The women traditionally would make the black pudding, which would be the blood and your oats that would be available in your local area. 
black pudding where we make it in Cantork would be very different to where our colleagues up in Mitchellstown, the Hanleys make it, or the people in West Cork, the Toomeys would make it. Every pudding is, is a champion of its own area. Okay. And blood pudding is made, blood sausage is made all over the world. We were competing against entries from Canada, the West Indies, there was a couple of entries from Australia. We were delighted to, to come out with the gold for Ireland, which was the only gold that Ireland won this year. Oh, wow. But it would be, it'd be a very traditional food all over the world. It'd be quite widely, widely made and it'd be, it'd be different everywhere. Okay, uh, are we getting a better name? We used to have a great name and then it kind of faded a bit. Are we getting a better name for restaurants now? Sunday Times Top 100, I think there were 16 Cork restaurants in that. Yeah, and we got a couple of Michelin stars extra in Cork this year. Cork food is synonymous and it's one of the best larders. We opened, when we opened the door, you got Cork as a larder. That's, that's where you source your ingredients from. Our oatmeal comes from Donald Creedon in McCroom, which is a real old mill dating way back to the, I would say... If I was guessing, guessing back into the 1800s, you got great ingredients, you got great producers, you got fantastic food on your doorstep, and we're only marrying together what nature gives us and what the farmers can produce for us, and we're trying to produce the best product we can to get it out there. But Cork Food would have a very, very high name anywhere in the city or any one of the Michelin stars. With Michelin stars <coughs> back here in the 70s with our beautiful Lodge. Wow. And, and now you're in the order of pudding producers, which is based in Mortania. Or Perch. Montagne de Perch. Okay. They actually visited, too. They visited us in 2010 and in full length crimson robe, they marched up through the middle of Cantork Town. We closed, <laughs> we closed the streets for a pudding parade up through the town and 20 of them came and they inducted us into the, um, the Confier, the Chevalier, the Goutet Boudon. There it's I am with my bit of French. It sounds like something out, out, out of a... Out of a novel or something. It's, it's, like, it's almost like Monty Python. It sounds like the the, the title song from uh, the Da Vinci Code. It is, uh, yeah, but it's um, it's so bizarre. It's true, and it's nice to um, it's nice to have such a highly recognised. They started in 1962, such a high a high level of competition to to aspire to. And okay. You don't get it straight away. You don't get the um, the judging criteria straight away. It takes a while to adapt to what they're looking for in France. All right, and of course, the, the palate of France must have been considered when you submitted this particular pudding. It would. We would have. The pudding in France is called Boudin Noir, and it would be softer in texture. It would have less cereal, so that's when we added the teal and whiskey and the Cantor cream, and the apples, which made it softer in texture. And when you, when you fry it, it doesn't crisp up as much, but it'd be far softer on the palate. There'd be far more flavours going through it. So just to um, identify what the French would be looking for was a, was a job in itself. Okay, and of course, you, you didn't win against just 20 or 30 other no, contestants. You're winning against thousands. Thousands of global entries, which was, which was a great honour. And we're trying to logistically get over there now with the strikes and everything in France, trying to get over there on Sunday for the awards. But we'd be hopeful of picking up the, the Irish award, which would be the best Irish pudding for the, for the entry of this year. Well, you've earned it, so it'd be nice to get over there and get it. So you'll find McCarthy's of Cantorp puddings and sausages where? You'll find them at a lot of your local high-end supermarkets, restaurants, delis, all over the English market. And anyone that's looking for a listing, you know where to find us. The whiskey cream and apple pudding we're sending out into a lot of our stockists. We had an LD listing for five years. Hopefully, maybe we might get back in with the teal and whiskey one. So it's nice to it's nice to have like-minded retailers who are looking for high-end producers like ourselves to stock the product. 
Okay. Always open for business. I've seen black pudding going on pizza now, which is kind of a departure, isn't it? Yeah, but if you put it with a bit of blue cheese and you got the crispiness and you don't have too many elements on it, you have three or four elements, you've got blue cheese and you can have a bit of beetroot. You've got, a real, you've got real contrasting flavours there which can work together, but if you've got too much, if you've got pineapple and a pizza with black pudding, it's yeah. not going to work. Oh, right, okay. I'd be more for the pineapple, honestly. Okay, so for anyone who is maybe wanting to make a little foray into the world of black pudding, uh, let's get over the blood thing first. There's blood in steaks. There's blood in lots of, of stuff that we eat, or certainly, you know, unless you're a vegan or vegetarian or whatever. Um, what, what are some, some nice breakfast ways to, let's say you just want to have a black pudding breakfast. How would you dress it with, you've mentioned pears, you've mentioned other elements that go well with it. It'd be for the starter, beautiful in an omelette. Beautiful yeah. omelette, small bit of bacon. Um, we would have it with, we'd, we'd always go for the, the full breakfast on a Sunday morning. We wouldn't have it every morning of the week. But um, we do all the other breakfast products. But the for the breakfast, you'd be talking the omelette, you'd be talking, going bring it on to the starter. Then you'd be searing it with the with caramelised apple. You've got candied walnuts for the starter. But for the... Put me in the spot now for the breakfast. You would be really, <laughs> <laughs> you would be the the full the full McCarthy as we call it, the rasher yes, sausage. Put the rasher sausage and, and do it that way. Okay. Um, Desi wants to know why is it called pudding? Pudding, I suppose originally it's a sausage. It's a it's a blood sausage and it's called blood sausage all over the world. Our local name for it would always have been pudding. I wouldn't have the exact the exact terminology of it, but I presume when you is it in French boudouin nor. Boudin Noir. Boudin Noir. Yeah, the Germans would call it Blutwurst. And all over all over the world, you'd have a different name for it. But just in Ireland, we call it we call it the pudding. And we'd have the white pudding as well, which the, the simple question is, you'd have more cereal and no blood. Okay, so that's that's a fact. There is a no blood whatsoever in the white pudding. No blood in the white pudding, just okay. lots more seasoning. And we use pearl barley, we use oatmeal, we use bacon in our pudding. In other places, they use sheep's blood, we use pig's blood. So it'd be different and it'd be some... some people are having their breakfast now wondering, oh my God. Uh, it's available in the English market, I'm told, but the chocolate one, the award winner is now sold out, chocolate and pistachio. Sold yeah, out. We're getting back into the store now and make it this afternoon. Okay, so uh, what does this mean for the, for the company? Will you expand? Will you take on new people? Take on new areas? Hopefully, hopefully the um, push it out into the into the greater market. We will have a lot of customers that are looking to take it now. We'll be pushing it out in the next couple of weeks. What it means for us, it gets us great publicity. It gets us keeps us current. It's a great opportunity for a small business, which we are, in the side of the street in Cantork, trying to push out the best product that we can with an original family recipe, dating back. Um, are we doing anything better than anyone else? No, we're just doing it our way. There's other great produce, pudding producers out there. Get out there, support them all. Support the local ones, the small ones, the small guy, okay. the small fry. Well, uh, congratulations, hearty congratulations to you again. Tim McCarthy of uh, McCarthy's Butchers in Canturk. Delighted to win European gold medal for the speciality black pudding made using Teeling Whiskey, Canturk Cream, Local Apple, Chocolate, Pistachio Nuts. And I'm going to ask you to do the French part here. It's Ireland's only gold medal at the prestigious European Pudding Awards run by... The Confier de Chevalier de Goutet Boudon. And I picked that French up from my late French teacher, Barbara Coleman, when he passed away a few weeks ago. Okay, thanks a million. Uh, that's in Normandy in France, which is the uh, the haven or the heaven uh, for pudding, and that, uh, that's where everything is centralised. But great, and congrats on getting that award, and I hope you have a good run of business out of it. Thanks a million, Tim. Cheers. Get it off your chest 
Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. Well, after that good news business story, let's go back to the topic of choice this morning and uh, to speak to uh, Independent Rurals TD, Michael Collins. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Okay, it's Mick, actually. Uh, well, one of the independents who did turn up and voted against the confidence in government bills, some didn't, of course. Um, some of them have deals done with the government, maybe. Is, would, would that be right? Absolutely. It looks like uh, that is the case. I, I suppose, look, uh, many of those who, who, uh, independents who voted for the government yesterday are what we nickname in the doll, Finnegay Light. You know, Michael Lowry, uh, Sean Kenny, Noel Grealish, uh, D- Dennis Nocton, um, most of them, uh, Matt Shannon, and, and, and most of them are, are former Fine Gael. And obviously they're doing deals, uh, and, and deals are a dangerous thing, um, uh, basically, for the, for the people of this country, because it might suit somebody else, or someone else's back door, or it might suit the country's back door. And we have a housing uh, uh, crisis here, Mike. Uh, beyond all proportions. But I made it very clear yesterday, because I'm worn the teeth from talking about housing inside that doll and what the, the, the government are telling us what they're going to do, opposition are telling what we're going to do, and nothing's happening. So people are coming to my clinics every weekend, the lady maybe in her 70s last weekend, in a wheelchair, becoming homeless, upset beyond belief, and I'm very hard to blame her. But the government have been inactive in so many fronts, and especially my own road area where people looking for planning permission have been refused continuously for small reasons. Even though then they're coming along now and they're saying they're going to build modular homes there's going to be no issue about planning on a fast track everything and move everything on that suits, uh, suits the people. You look, people have log cabins and other little homes in, 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 in their own premises for to house their, their children or, or maybe they're married uh, children until they get into a, a, a situation where they might have only they're being chased by the planning laws. There should be an amnesty, maybe for a number of years, where they let these people settle in their homes and give them some house or some roof over there. But make, not just that was the reason I voted no confidence yesterday. The government look at the health uh, crisis we have in this country. We're over one million people on waiting lists, and most of them busting themselves into Northern Ireland or across the world for hip. For, uh, for for knee surgery, for cataract surgery. We have an energy crisis in this country that the government seems to be afraid to take on the energy companies. It's like as if we should bow to them when we see them. And businesses getting bills of up to 18, 12, 14,000. You can't go to have a meal anymore. Without, you know, a lot of people t- tell me what the cost of it is huge, and, but that's p- passed on by the, the person in the cafe or the restaurant. They can't foot the bills, so they're passing it on to the customer. And all the way down the like I looked at different areas and I spoke there, you quite clearly can see that in my Facebook, a fishing crisis in this country where the government have fought for no quota, only giving a lousy decommissioning deal to get rid of fishermen, and then agriculture uh, issues here in this country also where sheep farmers are on their knees and the dairy sector are now going to be attacked by this government because there's a huge, huge green agenda and the whole country is brainwashed into this agenda and we'll be bringing in importing Brazilian beef and foreign beef of all sorts of disgraceful uh, condition into this country but our own beautiful produce that we have in this country is being attacked every day of the week and on that basis I could not vote support of a government. Mm. Uh, Ireland is responsible by the way for 0.1 of 1% of global pollution when it comes to uh, carbon emissions. 0.1 of 1%. And, and at the same time, then, we're buying uh, carbon credits from Slovakia. You know, I, I, there was a debate yesterday in the Dáil that there's, 50, uh, there's, there's so many schools throughout the country now are going to be left without their extensions and their improvements done to them because there's no funding available. But at the same time, we're buying uh, carbon credits from Slovakia for, for two, three, four months. Not a problem to find the money when it suits Jamin Ryan to find the money. The, ta- the, the tail is wagging the dog here. 
and, and our country is, is, is in dire trouble. You look at our roads are in appalling condition. There was a, a report drawn up by, by, by the Cork County Council, an independent report called the Air Report. I cannot get the Taoiseach now who's the Taoiseach. I can't get the Taoiseach who's in the country. I can't get the Ministers for Finance to sit up and look at that report and see how West Cork and Cork County has been the lowest funded on so many fronts. And you can see that with the condition of our roads, are, honest to God, they're like third world countries. Some of the roads are down on West Cork. I don't yeah, so, want so, some of our listeners might be familiar with this road, but I drove for, I was in a car at least, uh, from Fitzpatrick's in Lanthorne to Cove Cross. And uh, the road was probably one of the worst I've come across. Meanwhile, there's an empty brand new, pristine, flat cycleway, uh, almost the width of the road, which maybe one or two people were using over the four or five miles. But the road is in a shocking condition. It's, uh, that you can replicate that issue down around in, in parts of West Cork and people come to my clinic and they're ringing my office every day of the week about the roads and the appalling condition and when they are filled they're only filled in with a little machine and they're not done not proper jobs done to but we, we're seeking a bypass in, in, in the northern and the southern side of Bandon uh, in a Shannon bypass Bantry bypass nothing Nothing is moving. Everything seems to be at a standstill when it comes to some constituencies. But more than where there's cosy deals done, are getting quite a lot done. So you have to hand, hand that to maybe those who are able to do the nod and wink. But the bottom line is that I can't vote confidence in a government where we see people, as I said, over one million people having to, are lying in pain, are going blind, are whatever, looking for surgery and cannot. But isn't that yeah. the sticky wicket, Michael, in that uh, by voting no and or voting against the government, on a confidence motion, doesn't that affect your ability to get anything done in your area? Well, I suppose first and foremost, you know, it looks to me as if not in wing politics is, is still going very strong. But I don't think that's that's right, though. You cannot uh, pin find your funds into an area because someone is going to do something for you in government. That's, that's a terrible way to run your country. Uh, it should be a fair, like, I mean, when, as I said to you earlier on the Aero report, was a fair a report, independent report drawn up by the Cork County Council about the underfunding for the Cork, Cork County for the, for the last 20, 30 years. It was an incredible report. No one wants to sit down and talk about that report. No Minister for Finance, no Taoiseach, no Tarnish wants to speak about that report. What do people have to do in, in, to, to prove to these ministers that w- areas are being underfunded? Look at our roads, as I said, that will tell, tell it all. But the bottom line is there's little, and uh, obviously the, the main issue was about housing, let's be honest. I'm down in my own constituency. I'm every day of the week meeting genuine people who come to me, unfortunately, today, their planning has been turned down. Young couples have, uh, who are finding it difficult purchase a site, maybe get a site from their mother or father, and they're trying to put a house, a roof over their head, trying to pay it without having to go through the social housing system, and they're being refused. refused. I had one individual in an island off West Cork that's been 10,000 euros and I said to the uh, uh, the lady's father why in the name of God did you come to me earlier we might have been able to help somewhere but he said to me we thought when we spent 10,000 euros my daughter would get planning permission and she was refused and wow. that's the problem we have in this country that's why there's there's continuously people that, what what encouragement is that lady going to be led to only to go into social housing and be like one more of the thousands and thousands out there without a home Okay, Uh, I'm drawn to one thing you did say. I'm not sure if this was on social media, uh, but you have been quoted as saying, if I had a house, for every time I spoke about housing, we'd have no more housing crisis. And that's the situation. Since 2016, I went up into the doll. Everybody's been talking about housing, but nobody's doing anything about it. 
and and I there's only you you have to come at this from so many angles. So all of a sudden, they're talking about modular homes, and there's no issue about planning permission, no interest in sewage and towns or water. It's all perfect. Build as much of them as you want, and but like make sure they're built for everybody. Number one, but make sure you look at other areas. There's ruins and towns. I'll go to towns and villages of West Cork. West Cork is probably the most beautiful part of the world to visit. But there's towns and villages where there's, uh, uh, there's houses with no, are all businesses with no roofs. And some people are looking for planning. They're getting every kind of obstacle that can be put in front of them instead of encouraging people into rural communities by doing up the ruins and by you know, giving an amnesty for people that have log cabins or little houses in their, in their, in their, in their, in their homes trying to accommodate family members. Give uh, relax the planning permission laws. All this has to happen all together, but it hasn't happened since 2016. Other than maybe making things stricter, making it more difficult for the ordinary man and woman who are trying, who are desperately trying to get get a home uh, to, to put a roof over their head. And I have people that are war coming in every week into me, and like some people get angry, very angry, not maybe with me, but with the system that's out there. But they're angry when they're with me, and I have to tell them, I'm sorry, I don't have a house in the boot of the car, but we, are, I have a staff member fully working on housing issues in West Cork. Imagine uh, fully working on, on, on council and housing issues in West Cork. That will tell you the amount of people that are coming before us that are either homeless or going to be homeless, that are upset, that are looking for a home, have been on the list eight, nine, ten years, pulling their hair over the head and going nowhere. The creators. 29 houses available in Ireland, not in Cork, in Ireland, uh, for the HAP scheme. That's all that's there. Surely by any metric, this cannot be a successful housing programme. The, the problem is you have two issues here. 29 houses is just an appalling situation we find ourselves in. But you also, uh, like, you you have to look at, uh, like, and we tried our best last week in the, in, in the first motion that came before the council about the continuation of the, the division bill. We put in amendments, amendments that would actually support, because the land, small landlords need support. Small landlords are going out of business and they're shutting the door and running, selling, getting their load as quick as ever they can. And the government are afraid like a create a system like so, like we can't always like even though I voted against them but at the same time I I don't want to attack them because I know they're the, our only solution to the problem that's out there at the moment and they're becoming unfortunately very 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 uh, frustrated night and they're walking away from the market so and they're setting up and that's an appalling situation the country finds itself in so they should have been putting in small time supports for the landlord long before this paying fifty percent of the of, of whatever they make on on on, on in tax. That has to stop immediately. There has to be serious tax penalties for the first 15,000 that a landlord earns. It shouldn't be taxed on. You have to make it, encourage them or incentivize them to stay in the business so that we can have houses for people out there. Instead, they're being ran off the market. Everybody is above Sinn Féin's point of finger. Social Democrats, they're all pointing the finger at the landlord. Not all of them are, are, are bad. There's, there's the, the big multinational ones, maybe, but I'm talking about the smaller landlord that has two or three houses. Encourage them to stay in the business. They're, they're walking, and actually, they're no longer walking, they're running. Yeah, but there's a huge cohort of landlords in that age bracket where it makes financial sense now with the market buoyant to get out. But what I was trying to say to, was it Colin Burke? Um, what I was trying to say is, why, why not use the Department of Finance to incentivize them and not tax them heavily? Uh, you know, if if they're in, if they have the house over twenty years, the capital gains is is probably not huge, uh, but if they have it for ten, fifteen years, it could be substantial. And if that was an incentive to to put the house into public stock, 
and then that might work for them. I just want to ask you a question, Michael. And I, you've touched on some of what I feel will be your answers anyway. But you, you don't operate under the restriction of the party whip. As an independent, you have that luxury. So you, you can also look into the system and see uh, and form your own opinion as to what's wrong. You've touched on some of it. Uh, this planning debacle, um, o- other elements, what, what would you see to be this time-specific very urgent silver bullet that will take the logjam out of it for now. What will buy us time? Okay, the first first and foremost, what you said earlier on there about taxes into certain sort of, sort of landlords, that has to be looked at in a more serious manner. It should have been looked at long, long before this, and it hasn't. That's number one, if you want to encourage landlords to stay in the market. And we have to, no matter how people see them as being the big, bad wolf here, they're not. Uh, they, have to be, they have to be encouraged. Number two, as I said earlier on, uh, if people are building and putting log cabins in their garden, there must be an amnesty, not forever. An amnesty for a number of years to get their feet on the ground, basically, and a roof over their head and t- take the pressure off the system that they're already. Planning permission number three, planning permissions in rural uh, communities where a son and a daughter want to build in their home uh, area, they should, uh, more relaxed rules. There has to be regulation. I have no problem with that. But there's over-regulation when you have people worrying about little flies and little worms and stuff like that and, 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 and uh, uh, refusing planning permission. Ruins in towns and villages, they're, these, they're going on about giving a few quid here and a few quid there. But sure, when the guy goes to, or the man, the woman, I should be careful of what I'm saying here, goes to look for planning permission for a room and send it down there, told, that's told, the, the, the planning authority says, oh, sure, look, we won't allow planning here at all, or we won't allow planning there at all. Things, these are small things, but every small thing coming from every angle will resolve this issue. It won't fully resolve, but it will at least to walk towards some solution. But sadly, so proper joined up thinking on the removal of bureaucracy and red tape. Uh, yes, we've we've one, like one final question for you, Michael, before I move on. Uh, can by a texter can uh, Mick ask Michael Collins about firewood grade timber being exported when local producers can't get supply? This will lead to huge fuel shortages next winter. Well, we had this issue, you know, it's going on for the last number of years in relation to forestry and, and the importation of, of forestry and timber into into places like Granger's uh, Mills in, 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 in Eskeen and places like that. And we fought bravely for for that end. Um, uh, you know, we're not in relation to the, 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 to the uh, growing of forestry. Uh, Pippa Hackett is a minister. She's not at all meeting her targets. I think she's way over her dip as a minister. Uh, in this country, she's, uh, our targets are not being met time and time after. You know, I'm in the Ag uh, Marine Committee above the Dáil, and we have meeting after meeting, fighting and fighting for, to, for us to meet our targets. Imagine meet our targets, and we're supposed to have so many thousand trees planted every year. We're not in any way, shape, or form reaching that target. And if we're not going to reach that target, we're in the up, like everything else in this country, import. Like, you know, we'll, 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 we'll attack the beef sector, we'll attack, attack the sheep sector, we'll attack the dairy sector but we'll import it all in the back door, but we'll make sure that it looks very good in Ireland, or we'll buy carbon credits from Slovakia at the cost of two, three minutes. All this nod and wink business that this government is going on with inside in the doll is, is costing this country dearly. So it's like the pee get issue. It's uh, ban it here, but import it from elsewhere. That's, the, well, you, you, with the moss peat and everything else, you know, in the last couple of years, was bringing it in from somewhere else, but we were not allowed 
um, uh, produce it here in this country. Instead of we being proud to produce it here and produce it uh, carefully and produce it in an environmentally friendly way, but there's an attack on Irish agriculture, an attack on Irish fishermen, and an attack on the Irish people in this country. We're continuously attacked. But the fuel is going to go up soon again, uh, just because it dropped so uh, a little there lately. The government have it set now that they're, the VAT that they deducted last year is going to be put back up again and so much now in June and so much then again after. It's hit the ordinary man and woman that's trying to work and work hard every day of their life. It's, 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 this is the way this country seems to be uh, profiteering from. It's somebody else's agony, basically. Yeah, okay. Uh, Michael, you're one of the uh, the few straight-talking politicians. I, I struggle to identify many in the Doyle. I'm completely apolitical. Um, you know, I like to talk to everybody on the programme, but I'm, I'm accused of being of every persuasion. But I, I do like Michael Moynan as well. I think he's a very straight-talker and makes a lot of sense, as you do. Uh, and you're an independent. Will you will you continue to run as an independent? Absolutely. I, I You know, I was approached by different political parties down through the years uh, to run, and I often said, if I was ever going to go into politics, I'd go in as an independent because you, could, you can simply talk on behalf of the people. Unfortunately, party politics is, is riddled with... I, I have to call it straight up. They won't like the It's not in wing-type politics. And I'm not into that. The straight talking. Sometimes it mightn't be for my own benefit. You know, I sat around in the formation of the last government. I sat around the table. I never looked for one thing myself, but I looked for two things from West Cork. And that was Bantry Hospital, Cast Iron Guarantee to never be uh, downgraded, which it was in several t- attempts since, but and yeah, and, the other, and that's why I didn't have me in government, because they knew what they were going to do. And the second thing was, uh, in relation to the fisheries, we do not have a Minister for Fisheries. We have a Minister for Agriculture, but we certainly need a Minister for Fisheries, one of the richest resources in the, that we have that others don't have, and we have it thrown into the sea. Yeah, I did a couple of interviews. I'm struggling to remember. It's been months and months, six months since I was on this program. Uh, but I think it was a Pat O'Sullivan, uh, one of the great vocal and very heartfelt representatives of the fishing industry. Uh, and he made a great comment. He said, we're becoming an island nation that are not able to catch uh, our own fish. Uh, my old broadcasting colleague, Tom McSweeney, said, we're an island nation that stand with our backs to the sea. So certainly the Mary culture needs to be looked at. But look, we've covered a lot of ground. Straight talker Michael Collins, independent TD for the Rurals. Thank you very much for coming on the Neil Prenderville Show this morning. Cheers. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 86 8104 Red FM. It's coming up on a quarter to 11. I'm going to go to our phone lines on Ruth in a moment. Ruth, thanks for holding. First, uh, I want to get to a text regarding tradespeople. Neil spoke at length on this on the program yesterday. And this text came in. I've no sympathy for people getting caught. I'm building 25 years. I've never asked for a deposit. I've never advertised. I've no signage on my vans. I've been lucky that I've never gotten caught for much money working for myself for the last 16 years. Yeah, I've made mistakes, but I always have gone back and fixed them at my cost. I'm sick of people comparing our quotes with cowboys. Then we get a bad name. I have to pay my lads 21 days holidays, eight bank holidays, and a few sick days as well. I'm paying health and safety. I'm paying insurance, tools for workers, and vans. Ask these guys for all of the above. They have none. Uh, no parents today want their kids in building trades, uh, as were only riffraff. Parents want their little boys and girls pampered, stocking shelves, etc., rather than getting a real taste of work. Very few Irish will work in 10 years' time in building. Uh, then you'll see people getting ripped off even more, says Charlie. A lot of sense in that. One more on the topic, and hopefully we might get uh, back to it after 11 o'clock. Uh, what is it with our country? I think most people would agree that the rip-off culture in the country is completely out of control, with trades and cowboy builders, hotels ripping people off, 
the greed of supermarkets, insurance companies, putting small businesses out of business, people that can't afford car insurance, the government with their USC, taxing one-house landlords out of the market, all the online scams and rent rip-offs. It all just seems to be acceptable in a weird way. The one thing that they all sadly have in common is that in most cases, they'll get away with it, like if a business puts up its prices for products or services because of rises in overheads and their profits double, then they're ripping you off. Will the powers that be put an end to this culture? I doubt it. The ordinary people don't matter to this government. They protect multinationals, developers, and big businesses in government, and it's just getting worse, says Desi, and hopefully we'll come back to that after 11 o'clock. Now to our phone lines. Ruth, thank you so much for holding. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Hi. Now, you're living in the, in the UK, and you were looking at retiring back to Ireland. Tell me about that. I'm living in London. I've been working in London for the last 15 years. And I am looking at retiring back to Ireland, but at the moment, my thoughts are up in the air because I can't see a positive future for Ireland. And the reason I say that is listening to the two politicians this morning. Oh, my God, they made me so angry. The Fina, hang on, the Sinn Féin guy, Tommy Gould had an issue with the lady that rang up and he started going on a personal attack with her for her calling him out on something he hadn't done. Well, to, to be fair, he was doorstep there and it was unintentional and on our part. We didn't know that but person was going to ring in. Should, yeah, but every politician should be able to answer questions when doorstepped. There's too much actually giving politicians questions for them to prepare answers. They should be able to answer off the cuff. The Fina Gale guy... He actually said that he went into office in 2011 and they've been trying to sort out the housing crisis since then. How on earth does it take so long to sort out a housing crisis? The same government have been there for the last what, 10, 12 years. And same people, they just, after merging out, Fianna Gael and Fianna Foyle have merged. They're just not oppositions anymore. And when I listen to Neil Prentville in the mornings and I'm listening to the statistics of the amount of houses being boarded up, the local authority houses, why don't they sell those off if they're not going to actually do them up? So that people have housing. The modular buildings, from from what I've heard on the radio, are literally for the Ukrainians rather than the Irish people. We'd have some some hope, Ruth, as a population, if things didn't continue to get worse, if they corrected the slide and we went back into a positive impetus to to having less housing needed than continually more and more and more, but they haven't even made a start. Now I know they have; they're building they're building social housing, but it's not. But they're not building. It's not building. The they're not building people. them fast enough. Now I also take they're on board. They're not building for the Irish people, Mick. And if you say that, you are called racist. It's the exact same in the UK. You have people coming into the UK that are coming in on boats. Nobody knows where they're coming from. Nobody knows their criminal history or who they are, what they're likely to do. Same thing in Ireland. If I go into Ireland, my passport is checked. So how are people being able to go into Ireland with no passport? It can only be the government allowing that to happen. It's crazy. When I'm listening to it at home, I got very angry this morning at listening to the waffle that was going on because that's all it is for the last 12 years. Waffles. When did you leave it's Ireland, Ruth? I left Ireland in 2012. 
Okay, what was life like then? That was kind of that just after the... Time. Yeah, that, that was just after the big crash, really, wasn't it? Yeah, and we got caught up in that big crash. But you survive. We've lived through recessions before I'm of an age where we're well used to recessions, we're well used to getting through. But what I can't understand is people are expecting things to land on their lap, absolutely. Half were being given to private landlords. Why aren't the council actually doing up their council housing? And there's no joined up thinking. You said it yourself. There is no joined up thinking in any department in the government. Each one will blame the other, but nothing will get done. The problem is, I think, that they're all compartmentalised. There's none of them interacting with each other. They all have their own little bailiwick and then they protect their walls and uh, we, we make our own decisions and ne'er the twain shall meet. Well, what they need is an effective mechanism uh, whereby everything is checked on a process flowchart uh, from planning application right to granting. Uh, what does it have to go through? Legal and conveyancing and uh, proof of title, planning permission, uh, services, sewerage, electricity, water. Uh, let's try and fast track everything in a grown-up manner. But that would actually be using their heads, Mick, and that doesn't work in politics. Because it's parochial politics. They're all looking after each other rather than looking after the Irish people. And I think the thing that annoys me most, looking at it from the outside, is that everything that's done in Ireland is done to suit the European Union. Even the budgets go to Germany. Why Germany? I don't know. Because the European Union is in Brussels. But even the budgets go to Germany to be checked before they go to the Irish Parliament. So what is the point in having all those CDs in Ireland? You could have just a committee of six people and they would run the country. Well, I you mean, need, you, you need a little bit of representation for all of the constituencies. I, I, do, I do agree, I think we have too many and they're looking to get even more in there. But the problem is, Mick, they're not representing the Irish people. They're representing themselves and they're suiting themselves for their future in the European Union. They've, it's nothing to do with the Irish people anymore. It's for a simple reason open those borders, bring all those people in, but have no housing, no schools, no doctors, no hospitals. It's just not even credible. Yeah, I would imagine that those giving uh, much-needed health care uh, and the trades for first fix, second fix, block laying, roofing, electrical, all of those skills have been uh, generated and honed here, and many are now deploying uh, th- those activities in to New York's and Los Angeles, Vancouver, Toronto, Adelaide, Perth, Melbourne, Australia. Um, you know, that's, that's, in every country that's that the diaspora, as Mary. Uh, no, but in every country that the politicians go to for St. Patrick's Day, they go then recruit the Irish people, and that's how we end up abroad. Because none of us want to leave Ireland. But at, at a point, there are very few that actually want to go. But you've left. Will there you come back now? Families there at the moment. Will you come back to retire now? I will come back when they actually sort the country out. I think Fianna Gael and Fianna Foyle just need to merge as one party or move out. And I would love to see someone like Michael Collins, who actually spoke a lot of truth from what I could see. He just called it out for what it was. If he would set up his own party, there needs to be a credible opposition. Sinn Féin are not a credible opposition. And they really aren't, because they are too... They would make Ireland an island. Yeah, but when, when, when you have a coalition government that's dependent on the support of some independents who, who have cosy deals done, 
uh, as, as Leo Varadkar a little, little bit cheekily said last night, this coalition is built for the long haul. We're going all the way to the end of our term. That, that's cognizant that they've done deals with those they need to vote with them. They have. You look at Michael Healy Ray, Michael Healy Ray and his brother and Kerry. They have the most fantastic roads down there. So there was obviously deals done. Now, to listen to them, I actually thoroughly agree with most of what they say because they will call it out as well. But they, you can't hold a political party over the bar to get a vote through. That's not working in the best interests of the Irish people, no matter how anyone thinks. Well, I, I, I think by very definition, the political system, uh, those in power, even if they have those independents supporting, they're, they're working for the preservation of their own term of government. Uh, and yeah. a lot of them might disagree with that. They, they'll say, oh, no, it's, we always put the people first. But they're working to self-preserve. When it comes to housing, it's got to be a cross-party agreement because it's not a five-year job. It's much longer term, but it is a national disgrace. The amount of houses belong to the local authorities that are boarded up. It is absolutely disgraceful. But there needs to be, and I think it was, I think it was Colin Burke that mentioned it, if we can use the CPO, the compulsory purchase order, where title isn't clean, then that kind of effectively cleans up the title and something can be done very quickly then. Yeah, but it should be done quickly anyway, Mick, because most of those houses are owned by the local authority. Sell them off to those that are willing to buy them and do them up. They'll only buy them on clean title, that's the problem. And the other thing, ripping out houses and redoing them before you move them on, that's absolute crazy carry-on. People living in local authority houses expecting the local authority to keep their house in good condition, again, crazy. The rest of us have to do it ourselves. Will you end up retiring in the UK, do you think? I don't know yet. I'm lucky at both places. I really want to come back to Ireland. I really, really do. Would you not move but to I the sun, a, maybe, and get something cheap? A, come home to Ireland for well, the I summer. Have young, I have a young man with special needs, and oh, it okay. actually scares me rigid. Okay, and... and what the, opportunities would be there for him in Ireland? They are, they are pretty good in the UK, I believe. They're very good in the UK. Yeah. Something you, you might have to fight for over here. Yeah, once you're in the system, they're very good in the UK. The other thing I want to say, Mick, the reason you have so many people going into Ireland, I would imagine, you have dole payments or unemployment payments of over 250 quid a week. In the UK, it's £75 a week. And there's your incentivising to get a job. Yeah, because Because most most full-time jobs would pay little over that after tax. You know, maybe... Maybe up to double that after tax, but the incentive isn't there. Well, reduce the unemployment benefits. Reduce the benefits and the incentive would be there. Okay. I think the whole Ireland needs a massive overhaul. And it, the problem well, is... The, the, the political system need, needs a dose of soul, truth. I have to leave you here. The political system <laughs> yeah, need, needs a dose of souls, uh, a, a certain alignment with reality. Uh, and I think that's possi- is, Nick, possibly going to come in the shape of Sinn Féin. Whether that's going to be good or bad, let's wait and see. Uh, the same people have been in government, whether in power or opposition, for the last hundreds of years. They go down through a lineage of family members, and it's almost like jobs for the boys at this stage. Exactly. Got to leave it there, Ruth. Thanks very much. 
All right. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bye-bye. News at 11 is on the way on the Neil Prendival Show. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And a very good morning. We're joined, and thank you for holding over the news uh, to uh, by Fianna Fáil TD, Padraig O'Sullivan. Good morning, Padraig. Good morning, Mick. Hi. And I know you go by Paddy. Is that too informal? Is that okay? No, that's now no that I've given you the full title. Uh, so you're a Fianna Fáil TD on the north side, uh, Paddy. The magic number of a million, you say. Uh, this has just been bandied about yesterday by Labour, challenged by your side of the Doyle. Uh, where do they pick a million houses from? I honestly don't know. It's something you'd have to ask Ivana Batchik. And um, in that interview, when she mentioned that million uh, home figure, I think she herself in that interview on the week in politics, what she had said, and she immediately tried to backtrack, and then she was including retrofitting homes and returning homes, you know, the voids and the derelict houses you see around the cities, and she was kind of lumping everything in together by the time she had finished. So I think, look, it's just, it's very easy in opposition to just throw out random uh, figures, and I, I think that she, you know, she probably regrets what she said, because realistically, if we could beat that or, or, or reach that kind of a target, or if we had the capacity currently to do that, like, that's what we would be doing. Yeah. Like, you know, like the, 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 the tradesmen needed aren't sitting at home twiddling their thumbs. Uh, this is effectively a doubling of capacity. Yeah. This proposal. If you ask anybody in the construction sector, um, they will tell you that we're short 5,000 construction workers as it is. And that goes from block layers through right to carpenters, plumbers, roofers, the whole lot. Um, and we, it's not just in Ireland, we're struggling for those trades. It, it, it's globally. But obviously, when we crashed in 2009 and 10, an awful lot of those workers did emigrate. Now, some have come back, but not in the volumes that we would like. Um, not in the volumes that people also in the opposition would say that we should set up public building company. And, and again, while that sounds great, I'd love to know who's going to work in it, who's going to leave the private sector, where they're probably going to get better rates and better pay um, and revert back to uh, a public building model. Because I'm telling you, it's, it's not the real world. And people, um, the world now is global and you know people can... Uh, migrate with their skills and that goes for construction that goes for you know psychotherapists there's a fierce shortage of them in the country and other health workers and they know that their labour is mobile and it's very highly sought after right across the world so I think we just need to be honest and truthful in the debate with people that if we could magic up a million homes uh, it would be done because to be fair this government has put more money into housing um, than any previous government you know year on year and it's 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 funded annually um, That's a bit of a soundbite, though, Paddy. You know, it's it's not that difficult to put more money in each year. It sounds great, but but obviously not enough. No, well, well the, the, the honest truth is, we did, Mick, we couldn't even draw fully down the funding that was allocated last year because there were the problems that I am talking about, which is skills shortages and so on, and obviously the inflationary crisis that we have at the moment with construction. So, like, it, it isn't a case of money. It, it's not a case of money. It is a real case of you know, inflation that is out of control at the moment and uh, a labour and skill shortage, and that's just the, the, the truth. Okay, what, what's, um, what, what's your feeling on what you would deem to be the necessary action taken by the government and, and obviously um, given the, the stamp of approval last night on, on, on the, uh, the excess votes? Well, well, even into last week's vote, like the government has approved some measures, and some of us would have been calling for these measures six and twelve months ago. So it's glad I'm glad that we're actually here now and we've approved them. So we have approved the tenant in situ, um, um, 
so that will allow people that are under threat of eviction to buy their own home or to get the council to buy the home on their behalf from their landlord. Um, we've also approved a new kind of cost rental backstop it's been called so there for people uh, that is for people that basically are in excess of qualifying for social housing threshold uh, and they will be allowed uh, with the help of the council to identify properties uh, potentially buy those properties and have them run by housing bodies um, and again those people can, will in, earn in between fifty and 75000 depending on single or married status so that's another step that is coming in and that, that, I, that I welcome so uh, last year a year and a half ago we had the largest voids program in, in, in the history of the state again and I know that this is difficult for people to hear when you do hear 11,000 people homeless but these, these are facts and Darrell O'Brien later this year will announce a further voids program in Cork City we do have about 300 odd properties that we could convert to use relatively quickly and at relatively low expense. And that's something, again, that we need to target. Yeah, but could, couldn't yeah. relatively quickly, Paddy, become very quickly if the bureaucracy and red tape was addressed in, in an adult fashion? It doesn't seem to ever get addressed that the compartmentalisation uh, of these different disciplines, uh, everything could be done in a week. I know conveyancing and property proof and, t- and, and title proof is difficult in this country, or has been traditionally, and people want clean title. But should, should there not be a huge think tank in, in, in putting all of the necessary skills by committee even together to say, OK, this property, it, it, it qualifies for this, this, this and this. Let's fast track it. Bang, bang, bang. It's true. It's purchased. It's coming into the supply. Well, you've hit the nail on the head in, some, in terms of some of the problems we have that cause delays. We, we are a murder for red tape in this country, you know, and as you said, conveyancing and all the legals that go with property transfer take time. But the reason I used the word relatively quickly was because it obviously depends on the condition of the property. Some of these properties can be returned at minimal cost, maybe 30, 40, 50,000 euros. Some will, will require much greater investment. So uh, the reason I used the word relatively was because it literally depends on property to property. Um, but yeah, like the government is introducing legislation after Easter that's going to fast track planning. Like up to now, we have had no um, statutory deadline um, powers given to Ambor Planola. So now we're talking about a window of decisions uh, for planning applications that have been appealed to the Board Planola being made within 12 to 16 weeks statutory. Up to now, people have been waiting a year plus for, for even a one-off house to be adjudicated on if it has gone to an appeal. So that is another step that the government is making in the coming months. Um, and it, it is aimed, as you said, at re- reducing that kind of red tape, which frustrates many of us, not just I suppose, people that are waiting on homes, it just frustrates us as well that are making the legislation that it, we have to, I suppose, intervene into that effect. But up until now, as I said, on Borpanala hasn't had any statutory deadlines imposed on it, but it will now uh, in the upcoming legislation. OK, it's the Taoiseach's contention. Would it be yours that extending the moratorium on, uh, on, on evictions would make ultimately the homeless uh, pro- problem worse, not better? Well, I, th- I think the truth is that we actually don't know, okay, and that's maybe being, being truthful, but I, the one thing that I do know is the intervention that we made in putting in the temporary ban did not work, and that was evidenced in the figures where the number of landlords exiting the, the private rental market still continue to rise. So that is one thing that I, I, I do know that's factual. Um, and we will see in the coming months, you know, the number of eviction notices that are coming in. But we have lost 44,000 landlords in the private rental market since 2016. Um, like the one thing that's never spoken about Mick is the fact that the social housing list in this country in the last two years has decreased by 26% because of the massive government uh, investment in public housing but I, I don't hear that figure ever debated or spoken about either on radio or in the news 
Um, and as I said, I said that's fully an acknowledgement that there are 11, over 11,000 people homeless at the moment and 3,500 children. That's completely unacceptable. But, you know, like there, there are beds available for those people. There is emergency available accommodation available in Cork for people that need it. Uh, the last time I spoke to homeless services in both Cork City Council and Cork County Council, there were 38 families facing eviction in Cork City between now and July. And there are 50 families in Cork County. Uh, that the council are aware of and of course there's people that they might not be aware of or will not be aware of but they are the official figures that are there for people on the social housing list that are facing eviction notices at the moment and I've spoken to both homeless uh, sections in city and county council and they uh, maintain that they can uh, deal with those people uh, adequately and um, obviously the number might change uh, but at the moment, they're, they're confident that they can help those people. And even if you talk to the housing officers in both councils, they will tell you that obviously priority now will, will be focused on delivering housing for people that are facing eviction and that are, you know, um, without a home. Yeah. They, you know, I know with great, with great responsibility comes great power, but also comes great accountability. And, you know, maybe Mary Lou MacDonald is shouting at the wind. As the Taoiseach said, he doesn't appreciate her exploiting fears, adding to them, seeking to amplify them, that's wrong. But the reality is the reality. The, even the housing minister, Darrell O'Brien, was tackling the doll yesterday to say, she's your neighbour, she's been kicked out, where will she go? Where will she go? I, I, I don't think it's lost on people and fair-minded people that Mary Lou and MacDonald and Sinn Féin are the same party that said that they could build houses for €120,000. Like, what planet are these people? You'd want to be building a lot of them on free land. Yeah, and then some. Like with even with like fair enough when they gave that figure that you know the the inflation that we're suffering at the moment probably hadn't been factored in and they didn't have the benefit of foresight, but anybody again that deals with people in industry will tell you that that figure was, you know, it's Mickey Mouse stuff to even have it suggested, and I think that, that, that look as I said I'd be a fairly straight talk with people I always try and level with people, I hope that people listening into your radio show and and that listened into Neil Prendeville Weekly realise that under Sinn Fein you will never be allowed to own your social house a council house. Now, I'm the person that came from a council house. My parents bought their council house in the 70s. Under a Sinn Féin government, you will never have the right, as per their last manifesto, to own that home. And Fianna Fáil historically has always given people that ability. As I said, my parents availed of it back in the 70s. And I, I think that gets lost in the wider muddying of the waters about we'll build 100,000, we'll build 300,000, and it's just throwing out random figures as we started talking about. And I think when you get to the nuts and bolts of it, people will see that Sinn Féin are against the first-time buyer's grant, which record numbers have availed of this year, uh, €30,000 per household. They're against, as I said, you owning your own social house in time. Um, they are, and I, I don't even want to you know, get into the whole thing of objecting to, to who's objected to more properties, but the fact is they have objected to more properties than anybody else in the country. And I think when you, when you get down to nuts and bolts of it, and people, are, if they're fair-minded, will we'll, we'll, we'll understand that and appreciate that and see that, look... Things aren't perfect at the moment. They're far from it and very difficult for the reasons that we've already spoken about. Mm. But but in, in, has, in, in a housing emergency, not even a crisis anymore, why are building materials uh, subject to the same VAT rate as, say, diamonds? It's very strange. Like inter Internally, we have debates about these issues all the time. But could, but could you imagine uh, what would be said by the opposition if uh, government parties... Um, essentially gave property developers uh, a vast exemption on building. Could we be told that we're looking after developers and builders again? Okay, that's fair, um, that's, that's fair enough. I, I was particularly thinking, and maybe didn't express it properly, about the first-time buyer. 
the first time the self-builder, the person who would employ a builder or self-build, mm. that there could be some sort of uh, easing of the punitive 21-23% VAT rate on their materials. They're, they're providing a home uh, and, and, and helping the system have less demand. Yeah, no, and you wouldn't find disagreement with me on that on that premise, right? But what I would say is, what the opposition will throw at us is that you know, you're 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 basically looking after people of a certain um, cohort of people again, and and that would be used as an attack tool. But I'm genuinely, I, I I'm I'm with you. Like I I will do anything, I will do anything that um, you know, improves the delivery of housing. Um, by anybody. Another issue we need to look at is, you know, the refusal rate for one-off planning commissions in particularly in Cork County Council. And I would often argue with senior planners inside that every time we refuse somebody a one-off house in a county area, even if they meet the qualifying criteria and so on, every time they get a refusal, we're actually sending them into direct competition with people that do go in and purchase houses in urban areas or in housing estates. Mm. I'm not asking for a blanket, you know, free-for-all that will litter the countryside at one-off houses, but particularly when people meet the qualifying criteria being the son and daughter of landowners um, and historically have lived and grown up and are part of their communities, that we need to look more favourably at those planning applications for one-off houses when they come in. Mm. I know a bunch of professionals who are... Uh, you know, not long after qualifying and uh, they're all uh, round about the same area of Cork looking at uh, picking up uh, a house to live in to have a professional life and start a family, etc. And they formed a WhatsApp group so they wouldn't be bidding against each other. I thought it was very clever. Yeah, well look, even recently we've had the issue of gazumping. I think there was a case, I forget what part of the country it was in, but, um, you know, it, it, it like there are issues there historically, but look, the system we have now with bidding of houses is transparent and as I understand it, auctioneers have to log all bids on some internal system so I, I, look, I, I believe that it is all transparent there. Okay. Um, biggest bugbear, uh, Paddy, biggest bugbear, of course, the hard squeeze middle. Uh, here we go again, free houses for the people who won't work. What about the hard-working middle class? People shouting at their radios this morning. Yeah, and look, the one thing that I would be critical of the government on so far is I don't think we've built enough affordable homes that are directly you know, targeted at the people that you just spoken about there, that, you know, we have a social housing threshold. It's now increased to 40,000 in the city, 35,000 in the county. For people that aren't below those, they have an option of going on the social housing list to bailing of HAP. And I've dealt with an awful lot of people that are in that middle bracket of maybe 50,000, 60,000 euros um, for household income, can't qualify for mortgage, can't qualify for social housing. But the one scheme that the government has introduced again, and which opposition parties have disagreed with, is is the shared equity scheme. And people can avail of up to €100,000 um, if there is a shortfall in their mortgage uh, approval from a bank and the government, the state, would essentially stand in uh, and approve a certain amount of money to try and bridge that gap. Um, many people aren't even aware of it or haven't engaged it, but that scheme is live at the moment. Now. That's the shared ownership but, scheme? Yeah. yeah and and, and at what point does that get repaid so you have full ownership? Well, you have up to 30 years to repay it. But it's entirely up to you at and interest? how you agree it. At interest, is it? Yeah, yeah, and there is a lower interest rate, but it, it is interest-free, I think, for the first five years. Wow, okay. So um, that scheme is there. No, it's not going, It's not perfect. It's not going to suit everybody. But it essentially breaks your mortgage between the state and, you know, a, a private bank. So it gives people that opportunity to bridge the gap. Okay, so you would contend, albeit we're in an alarming situation, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael independence, as the government in power doing what they can. Maybe need to do more, but are certainly trying. 
Well, as I said, and statistics mean nothing to people make when they're listening on the radio and if they're in difficulty, but the statistics are there. We've built more more social homes than we have since, 2000, uh, since 1975. We've built more homes per annum than we have since 2008. And these are the facts. And as I said, they get diluted because there are an awful lot of people in very difficult circumstances. Um, but, but the government has tried to amend um, its proposals through the lifetime of the government to try and address some of the issues that they have. And as I said, I never once in mainstream media have heard, for example, that social housing has been reduced by 26% in the last two and a half years. I haven't heard it uttered once in mainstream media. But Leo Varadkar um, admitted that the government missed their target to build 9,000 social homes in 2022. 6,500 new social homes were provided, he said. Yeah, it, it, the, might, the, it might be more than, than, but, than the previous but, but, year, but, but it's listen, not enough. But, but, but listen, to be fair now, in that time, right, targets were missed and they're understandably missed because of COVID and because of the inflationary pressures that we're under. Houses, as I said earlier, the, the, the pretend amount of building a house for 100 or 130,000 euro, whatever the figure was by Owner Bryn previously, like that is, as I said, Mickey Mouse stuff. The inflationary pressures that people are under, talk to any builder or any developer, I'm sure Michael O'Flynn is regularly on with me and he'll tell you the increases that have gone into construction costs over the last 18 months. Um, and there is no easy way out of this. Well, wasn't, so, yeah, wasn't, there, t- wasn't there very little building party in 2022 with the COVID restrictions? No, the, there was still uh, 27,000 units delivered that year. 28,000 units. So building has happened. The, 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 the way that the market has diversified is they actually the state has become the largest developer in the state. You know, and that presents its own difficulties for the people that we've just spoken about. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I, might have, I might have been mistakenly referring to 2021. I don't know what year I have. Uh, um, there were no building restrictions in 2022. So, yeah, but prior to that, I'm saying when when you said Leo Varadkar said that there were issues with um, not meeting targets, it was understandably for there was a cessation of construction at the tail end of 2021, um, which you know led to a shortfall. Yeah, which is why they um, missed the 2022 target. Yeah. All right. But when construction ramped up again, as I said, look, 30,000 units have been reached. The target is to reach similar numbers this year. Um, but like, unless we start building capacity and getting supply back into the market, that is the only way. And I know it's overstated and I know it's um, thrown out far too often, but the only solution is is increasing supply and that's it. Okay. And, and getting people back on the trades, is there going to have to be a tax incentive there? Well, would you believe I was out canvassing last week in Grenada and I met um, a guy who was doing an electrician's apprentice apprenticeship and he told me, um, oh, sorry, he was doing a, a mechanic apprenticeship and he told me about the disparity between what an apprentice mechanic can earn, for example, and an electrician electrician apprenticeship basically earns double what a mechanic would. And I just think no matter what apprenticeship we're looking at, we need to look at it to make sure it's sustainable for people that they can afford to live and, and get themselves through that training. So I actually have a question in the doll in about 20 minutes' time about apprenticeships as well. So um, we, do, we do need to attract more and more of those people. Like, again, your listeners would have read recently of how we've had to import mechanics in from the Philippines, for example, to get NCT um, certificates and, and assessments done in cars. That's right. And, and, uh, and I heard they were spread around the country instead of being put together in one centre where they could live together e- economically, but maybe I'm wrong. But look, there's a private management company that yeah. you know, runs that sort I, of... I know you've got Doyle Business, Paddy. Uh, I think it's my first time talking to you and uh, it's, it's been a bit, a bit refreshing. I think you're a bit of a straight shooter. Uh, just on a personal note, I, I, I see through Facebook, etc. Uh, you're a man with a growing family. There's been new additions over the last year or two, hasn't there? Oh, I do. We had three kids <coughs> under three at one stage, but the oldest one now is four. So, yeah, we have um, three smallies at home. So. 
God love yeah. him. Why, why yeah. do you get away to do the easy business of governing? Well, that's, and, that, and, uh, yeah, that, that's I do get to Dublin two nights a week, so I do catch up. Oh, yeah. I'm sure oh, you have yeah, to do your share of nappies. <laughs> Paul Diego Sullivan, uh, also, of course, uh, always known as Paddy. Fianna Fáil TD, thank you very much for coming on this morning. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, care. cheers. Bye bye. Jim O'Hearn is on line too. Hi, Jim. Oh, yeah, boy. Thanks for holding. Thank you. No, yeah, fine. So he was worth listening to, in fairness. Uh, I wasn't bad, was he? You know, but I suppose taking all your politicians you were on this morning, now one of them have moved us a step forward. There, there's um, been suggestions that, that that could be of some merit, but the red tape is, yeah, is going to stifle them, you know? No, nah, let's step forward. Look, most of these politicians are in power, as, as Tommy Gould said, they are 14, 15 years. This is on their watch, if I can't even say it, twice their watch. Um, they're not capable of doing it, none of them, you know? No disrespect to any one of them. Look, they, they, they were doing for the right reason, but they can't do it. Uh, 30,000 units a year, no good. We couldn't keep up with the immigrants coming in with that. We had 80,000 units or more during the height of the boom. You know, that's, that's, that's where we need to be. Leave yeah, the builders I, back at it. Ironically, and I'm open to correction on this, it was a Fine Gael government under the late Jim Cosgrove, I think, that, that built the highest amount of social housing uh, in the history of the state. Yeah, but we don't need to talk about social housing. We need to talk about housing. Like, housing is for everyone. This word social housing, like, is a wrong term. Housing is what we need for everyone, not social housing. We've all our workers emigrated. You had a politician on this morning there, he said there's a great plan above in Galway, we're doing something. All the workers are leaving. 30,000 a year. Are these stupid? It, it isn't a country for young people anymore, is it? No. And, and we take the basic thing. We'd say apprentices, right? The Apprentice Council of Ireland, right? There isn't one construction worker on that. I think it's led by the ESB for now. Everyone that's on that has a second job. You, everybody that's failed us is on the Apprentice Council of Ireland. Not one construction man. Not, and definitely not one man that walks with his hands on it. How the hell are we going to pull out of this? Yeah. Well, all they do is all they want is to grab jobs and money. The whole bloody lot of them. Being, being, being in the trades now is a very, very worthwhile thing. If you can run your business, and more importantly, run your calendar and, and the number of calls that you're getting and, and handle the stress of an over-demand for your work, uh, you know, and, and juggle all of that. It can be a very lucrative profession to be in the trades now. Well, um, there's only so much work a fellow can do, sure. I mean, you can't take everything on, you know, and you have to put, you have to ask people to wait and people that will wait We'll get it done, but you never leave anybody in the lurch. If it's an emergency, everybody go, pulls of rank course. and gets the yeah. from. Yeah. But most people will wait, and there's a calendar now for builders, and that's you just wait your turn, and that's it. Most people understand that. Yeah, I, I think a little, little trap that a lot of people fall into is that they don't synchronize the trades. That they don't, oh, you know, if you're going to do a bathroom, you're going to need uh, an electrician, you're going to need a tiler, you're going to need a plaster, you're going to need a, probably a carpenter, you're going to, you know... You're going well, to need that's a f- if it's a self-build, Mick. That's if you decide to do it yourself and you're trying to save a few pounds. But there's loads of builders out there that will just, just go into your lot. bathroom yeah, and do the lot. And all you do is make a cup of coffee. That's, that's the real way. And you don't <laughs> save much by doing it yourself. And I know for you a know? fact the tradesmen will never come back unless they get that cup of coffee. <laughs> well, yeah, coffee is important. Are you in the trade yourself, Jim? Oh, yeah, I'm sure I was a bricklayer coming through in the, in the good old days. Yeah, and uh, you know? what, are you, what are you doing now? We're in the building, we're still doing building works. Um, I think we've one project held up by council at the moment and uh, nearly 12 months just on a, a fire cert converting a property into two apartments. 12 months is sitting on the table. And there's two apartments that council, could be... And that's the council's fault. They just will not deal with it. People in the council will not get it off their desk. They keep putting a thing on it called extension. Okay. This, so- is, this is typical. You know, I know. You must also remember, look, the, the biggest the biggest threat to housing at the moment is the government. They're, they're buying up every house now that comes available. So if you're a worker and you're, you're, you're with your girlfriend, you want to buy a house, 
you're competing against the government. They'll buy that house. That's a competition. It's crazy. That's unfair. They shouldn't be allowed to buy houses on the open market like that. Build your own houses for social housing. Leave the workers' houses alone. We did nothing. This is why they're immigrating. Yeah, may, maybe the first-time buyer's grant, if, if a first-time buyer was to buy from an existing landlord, maybe that and the uh, you know some tax benefits for the landlord to exit the market but give it to a first-time buyer could be explored. Absolutely. Help, help everyone that needs help. I'm, I'm all for that. But you take the vats. Your man was on about the vats, taking vats off houses there. There's over 80,000 on, on a new house in vats. The person who buys that house is paying that 80,000. It's not the... It's, it's not the bill or something. It's the guy that buys the house, pays that VAT. And he's got to mortgage that 80000 for, for the next 30 years. That's what that VAT is. Yeah. You know, it does nothing there for, for, for the ordinary man working or the young person coming up. You're being kicked in the teeth all the time. There, there are know? plenty of MBAs in this country, Masters in Business Administration, that, that could have a, a helicopter view of all of the co- that's going on here and make solid recommendations to those who implement laws. Uh, they said, lads, this is nonsensical. You, you've got a property 99.5 or 99.9% ready with two apartments that are now sitting vacant for the want of a cert. There you go. But you see, you need to move, like, again, because council and governments are holding everything up. They'll moan, they'll give you all excuses, privatise. Most things in this country need to be privatised because once it hits the civil service, it just slows up and anchors up. Okay. It's always been like that. So we need to private. If it means privatising some of the planning and some of the house building totally away from government, let's do it. Let's take it completely out of our hands. All right. Thank, thanks, for the, uh, thanks for the call and some great comments there, Jim Ahern. Thank you very much. Okay, thank Cheers. you. Bye-bye. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Not a very good morning from the Neil Prendival Show. It is 23 and a half minutes to 12 midday. Uh, hi, Mick. My mate had a chap wire his new house and when it came to the final fit-out, then realised there were no cables running to the smoke alarms. It then transpired the electrician wasn't a registered or trained electrician. Uh, this could have been the cause of their deaths. People need to use registered electricians only. Of course you do, because you can't get the valid cert unless uh, they're registered with recce. Uh, on the topic of scam, hi guys, I just wanted to pass on a warning about a scam going around the Fumoy area. I got approached in a petrol station by a guy claiming to be from Northern Ireland who needed money for fuel to get home. He flashes a GB driving license and uh, we'll give you his number to repay you. Uh, we'll give you his number to repay you. You'll never hear from him again. Please let your listeners know and never give anything to guys looking for money for fuel. I gave him 30 euro, but he looked for 45 for 30 litres. I spoke to others and they too have been caught. He's about six foot stocky and bald, late 40s. That's in the Fromoy area. On the topic of RTE, just looked at footage of a programme that was reportedly shown on RTE a few weeks ago. It shows actors talking in a cafe. And he uses words like the effing saints and F Jesus. And uh, she says, I don't give an F about Jesus. Why is RTE against the main Irish religion? Would RTE show a programme that says F the Muslims God? No, they would not. Uh, and a shout out for uh, the texts for today and I'm delighted to get to this one because we don't get to all of the texts here we generate so much of them wishing our wonderful Auntie Mary Kelleher in Kalekill Bantry a very happy 100th birthday hope you have a fantastic day uh, with love from your niece Siobhan nephews Pat, Peter and Jerry and all their families in Yall. You're quite a distance there, Yall to Kalekill, but we'll send the greeting anyway. Wishing our wonderful Auntie Mary Kelleher in Kalekill Bantry a very happy 100th birthday. 
Hope you have a fantastic day from all who love you. Now then, bit of a honky-tonk in the Doyle yesterday between Taoiseach Leo Varadkar and uh, Holly Kearns. Let's tell... So sorry, this is not yesterday's one. There was one yesterday as well. This is a little older from, I think, last week. Your entire tenure in office has been one long litany of broken promises and abject failure on housing. Turning a housing crisis into a housing disaster. Each year, we think things can't get any worse, yet somehow, under Fine Gael, they do. This isn't just a credibility issue for Fine Gael. Frankly, your party has none on housing. That's long gone. This is about the misery your failed policies are causing to men, women and children in every corner of the country. No area is immune from the wrecking ball of your disastrous housing policies. But this decision is particularly cruel. Homelessness isn't just a housing issue. It's a societal catastrophe. The profoundly negative impacts on children are especially devastating. And your government will today vote to inflict that damage on them. Taoiseach, I would ask you to reverse your decision, but you've already told me you're not returning. Time is up, Deputy. So can you clarify, when did it all go wrong? When did your housing policy begin to unravel? January 2023, uh, January of this year, the year in which we had more first-time buyers buying their first home than any year since records began in 2010. Surely that's something that you can acknowledge is progress. I don't know who you're trying to kid. I don't know, is it opposition? Is it the electorate? Or is it yourself? You told us recently that you turned a corner on housing. We've been listening to you say that since 2014. Nine years of turning corners. Tishik, it should be clear to you by now that you're not turning corners, you're blatantly going around in circles. For nearly a decade, you've claimed to have the answers to a housing disaster. Every year, for years, you say things are about to improve. People just need to be patient. You just need a bit more time. It's the opposition's fault. The reality is, you don't even believe it yourself. You say you can't extend the eviction ban until next year because that defers the crisis. So in other words, you don't believe the situation will have improved. In fact, you say it would be worse. So nothing you say you could do in the coming year would be enough to make a difference. If that isn't an indictment of your government's approach to housing, I honestly don't know what is. Um, Deputy, I haven't said that we've turned the corner in the housing crisis. I've never said that. Uh, the Taunishta said that we've uh, turned the corner on new home construction, um, which, 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 clearly, which clearly is a different thing, and he's, and, and he's correct, and he's correct in, in that regard. But Deputy, when I see posters for your party, I see the three things that you say you stand for, and one of the things is honest politics. Deputy, it's not honest politics to falsify quotes or misquote me. Uh, or to misrepresent the Taunishta. That is not honest politics, and we're, hoping for, and we're hoping for a different type of politics from you, and it's clear that we're not going to get that from you, unfortunately. Some interesting exchanges between, the, between these two uh, over the last uh, few days in the Dáil. Holly Carnes now, of course, has the spotlight of leadership thrust upon her, uh, and is certainly getting a bit of backbone. Uh, you have to fill that spotlight, of course, and I think she's doing a pretty good job. Uh, but there was another tete-a-tete yesterday, uh, which we may bring you at a later time, but right now I need to go to Greg uh, who's on line two. Is it line two? Uh, good morning, Greg. Is he on line one? 
No, we get him back there. Okay, let's go to... Um, we have... Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, let's do the Barry Cowan thing before, and we wrap it up with this, uh, some Doyle things. Uh, Barry Cowan said something uh, a lot of people found hard to believe in the Doyle recently. Listen to this. Wouldn't you think opposition members would assist their councillor colleagues by exerting influence on councils to respond positively to the government's recent instructions? Instructions and demands for councils to purchase units impacted by eviction notices, allowing tenants to remain in situ, applying to those that are on housing lists and those that are not. That's a solution. Keeping or extending the ban isn't necessarily going to solve this crisis into the future. It's like making sweets free for children. It's fine for a little while, but ultimately detrimental to the greater need. A lot of people couldn't believe that one. What did you think of that one, John Byrne? You were listening there. Well, I'm surprised that he actually brought up about sweets, seeing that they have a sugar tax now and everything. (laughs) That's true. That's... uh, that's from, that's from yesterday's Doyle proceedings, actually. Barry Cowan yeah, yeah. likening the eviction yeah, well, van to giving sweets to children. That's our Marie Antoinette moment. Let them eat cake. Yeah, absolutely. But we had the situation there this morning where we had uh, Colin Bock was answering uh, a question. Uh, he was actually uh, putting down the, the Labour motion about the million houses. Uh, that's, uh, who was going to build them? Well, the answer to that is nobody because uh, thanks to his government and the Fianna Fáil government, the amount of people that left the country down through the years because they couldn't uh, get on here for one reason or another, economically, or that they couldn't get a house to live in. That's his answer. They're now building houses in other jurisdictions for people across the world. And and uh, uh, as a mark of respect to a, to a carpenter who was, who was hit in the back of the head uh, in, in Boston, he wouldn't have been in Boston probably if he had got a job at home, you know? Mm. So, so uh, we we have uh, ongoing problems here with short-sighted governments and knee-jerk reactions a- across the board to everything. Yeah, you know? I was taking the and, task and, actually and, for not being tougher on Cullen Burke. My first day back, I'll have to take that one on the chin. Uh, some uh, well, 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 in fairness, you you can't think of everything on the spot of the moment to be asking him. But I mean, the question to him would have been as well, Cullen, what did you do in the time that you've been in politics? And uh, if your policies and your government policies had failed, would you not think of standing down and let somebody else with, with, a, with a new perspective and, and a new insight into what's actually going on? You know, I mean, Cullum doesn't need the money. I'm sure his nest is well feathered, you know. Move, <laughs> move, move off the nest if you, can't, if you can't produce an egg, you know. Yeah, one question I didn't get to ask him, which came in by text, was they had plenty of houses in Collins's barracks years ago, but they demolished them to provide a car park. Ah, yeah, but you'll mean that, like, <laughs> the officers would probably need some place to park. The details are, I think. Anyway, know, anyway get, getting back to the matter you rang in for. Uh, and yeah, you, you have to agree that uh, successive governments, and it's been Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael for quite some time now, one or the other or both, uh, are mm-hmm. sitting on failed policies. Uh, and they're yeah. sitting on them a very, very long time. Yeah, and people will still vote for them. I can't understand it. I cannot understand it. If so, if, if if somebody's coming up to your door every morning as soon as you come out the door and he slaps you in the back of the head, tis, tis, how long before you go out the back door <laughs> to avoid him? I mean, uh, I'll do something about it. The people, the people are what you call it, being lulled into a false sense of security the whole time by getting the same uh, glib uh, sentences and, and, and promises. They do realise like, it, it hasn't worked. It's not going to work. 
and like they're talking about refugees coming over. Like we understand the the, the Ukrainians had to come over because they're running from a lunatic. That's fair enough. But the po- housing policy in this country wouldn't have come to a standstill and and come to the to the to the fore that people have recognised the problems. Because we had a refugee problem. It would have been just left carry on willy nilly. But it's almost like the perfect storm. We have a major health crisis now topped up with a homelessness crisis. uh, And that's been fueled by this uh, refugee crisis uh, and a lack of supply crisis and now lack of... Lack of trade well, crisis to correct the problem. Well, well, you had Tommy, you had Tommy, Tommy Goldblatt this morning, and he said they recognised back in 2009 that there was a housing problem. Now, uh, Sinn Féin haven't been in government yet. Whether there'll be any, any better or any worse, we don't know. But we've had two parties down through the years uh, who haven't been able to rectify anything. So, like, <clears throat> like uh, I don't know. I, well, just look. I'm black and white. I wouldn't vote for any party that, uh, that condones abortion. So I'm out of voting for any of the three parties. Right? That's, that's, how, that's how I stand on something, right? Okay, but, that's, uh, that's for, perfectly fine but, in a democracy. Yeah, yeah. But this, the, the very fact is that we've had two major parties in the country uh, who have done nothing since 2009 about the housing problem. They'll tell you, built all these units and they've done this and the whole lot and everything. You cannot be building enough units when you have an open-door policy for everybody turning up. And now I'm not talking about Ukrainians, because a lot of them will be going home when the time is right. I'm talking about people who are turning up, we don't know who they are, where they're coming from, or what they're up to. But we can find places to, to kick, take them off the street, because there was a furore last week, because there was 400 uh, immigrants that uh, had no place to live. We've had more than 400 uh, Irish people with no place to live, and it never upset uh, well, a whole lot of people. Or is it the fact that the United Nations will be under case that the that the immigrants and the migrants will be uh, they'll be traumatised? But you still care to traumatise the Irish. You do what you can for your own first. Anything after that becomes charity. And, yeah, and of, of course, we've got we've got a very much more yeah. appealing social welfare service here than oh, they have, sure. as was explained well, in the UK. Well, absolutely, absolutely. And you have signs up in France telling the people how to get to Ireland. Now, they're telling the Ukrainians as well how to get to Ireland, but they're telling everybody else who hits the ports in France how to get to Ireland. And we have, we have a situation where we have 5,000 people came through Dublin Airport without documentation, right? But we had one man uh, two days ago That's right. who, was leaving, who was leaving Cork or leaving Ireland. Leaving Dublin, say, Dublin right? Airport. Leaving, yeah, leaving Dublin. And he got on a plane through security, walked onto it. Now, we don't know how, and I'm sure that we will get an explanation of some sort at some stage. But the only reason that that created stink was because as soon as he hit British mainland and got off without documentation, the DAA would have been fined about £50,000. Okay. So I, I know there's an investigation going on into that. Yeah. Yeah, but tell me, was he, was he working in the airport? That he could walk, to, he could just bypass everything. Well, maybe that is something I didn't think of actually, because he would have to. You'd, you have to have a boarding pass to get through the electronic gates in uh, Dublin Airport. Then, then you go through the whole duty free and walk to your gate thing, and then your passport yeah. and boarding passes are green beeped. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, like, uh, yeah, uh, okay. If, if you had an airport yeah. pass, perhaps yes, you could get down the ramp. Uh, yeah, and just uh, walk, yeah, and walk onto the plane. Yeah, um, yeah. and I, I imagine when they count. There'll be one extra, and maybe that's how he was found out. Yeah, 
with, with, with all the best will in the world. So that man could have been carrying anything for any ulterior reason. Yeah. And, and this is how you must look at things, you know? Okay. We, have, we, have, we, we, we actually have no security in our country. When 5,000 people can walk into with, without, with paperwork that's been flushed because it's now proven that if he couldn't get out of the country without documentation, people coming in from the other side couldn't get on a plane without documentation. Okay, I've I, I got to take an ad break here. You, one final thing, you were impressed with Michael Collins, I believe, were you? I was. I was indeed. It's, it's, look, it, it's no harm to hear plane speaking. Okay, more of it, please. You know? Thank you very oh, much. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much. John Byrne. And, okay, uh, thank we, you. Thank you very much, John. But back in a moment with more on the Neil Prendival Show. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. And into the final business of Thursday's programme. Pat, thank you for holding Housing and Women of Honour. Uh, it's yeah. my, my first time hearing that, but uh, you're contending the Housing Development Land Agency yeah. hasn't built a house since it was set up. That's right. In 2018, they set up, they uh, identified these sites and what they're doing. And Leo said there uh, in the piece you were played earlier, uh, what people need to see is honest politics. What we're seeing even present day now in the last couple of days is we're seeing the stuff that came up with the Land Development Agency being reshuffled. And that's all we're seeing. The same will be still done as was done in 2018. Nothing. So we need to see uh, honest politics in this country. Now, you had the Fianna Fáil um, person on there earlier, and what sickens me with him and with an awful lot of the other two parties that are in government, they have this attitude towards the Irish people that we should be on our knees begging to these, that we should be grateful for these landlords and everything. The Irish people are not in a position to be on their knees and begging for this. The Irish people are honourable people, but unfortunately the politics of this country has left the Irish people down. And I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. My daughter is 36 years of age. She works hard all the week. Her partner works hard all the week. At the end of the week she hasn't a penny to show and this is where she's been left down. Now unfortunately the um, quota there she's over this so she's not even worthy to be on a housing list. So this country has left the people, the hard working people down and as was said on your show, the government are favouring the people that probably don't work or the people are coming into this country that we don't even know they said last night on the programme uh, we've done great work now we have 60,000 that have come to our country we have them housed they have six. They have left 60,000 of the people down in this country now Holly Kearns asked there on that clip earlier where did this all go wrong one reason it all went wrong was this hat thing that was brought in in Labour by Labour um, that this was this false thing and this was the be and an end all and this was part of this and the Fianna Fáil guy said earlier uh, if we give uh, reduced fat and everything we'd look like we're uh, in favour of developer to everyone looking at this and the way the housing was handled in this country it's obvious to everyone in this country that this is a developer led uh, government and it's not interested in the hard working people of this country okay. Pat, Pat with, with apologies I don't have enough time to go into this topic with you in as much as I would like to. So, with apologies, could I ask you to be available maybe tomorrow? Uh, yes. And we'll give you a more open-ended conversation where we can tease out some of the issues and juggling with the political bull that's going on there and find out why in five years there hasn't been a single house built from the land, uh, the Housing Development and Land Agency. So, with apologies, we'll come back to it tomorrow, Pat, okay? 
Lovely. Thank, Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Okay, final business. Uh, this Waterford man is the biggest new Irish artist around. A singer-songwriter with the potential to be as big as Dermot Kennedy. And we've got him in a private concert. Moncrief plays uh, exclusively for Cork's Red FM. Five pairs of tickets to see Moncrief live at Cypress Avenue on Wednesday, April 12th. Uh, the opening acts there are Darian June. we got Red FM selections in the Irish Music Month. Search for a new local hero. I might have a suggestion or two there and you must be over 18. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.